bipolar. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, everybody. It is time to digest new material. We're super excited to be back with a new weekly live stream series. That's right. This is going to be weekly. Not just about Fire and Blood, but Fire and Blood is the catalyst for all this. When it was released, we didn't realize it was going to be this good. We're going to talk about that and a lot of other things. And Ashea is here as well. Ashea is the best, as you guys know. So we're super excited, like I said, to talk about this. And um, I'm going to get started with a couple quick announcements, and then we'll dive right in. Yeah, while people filter in. So like I said... Every week we're going to do this, not just about Fire and Blood, but about its impact on A Song of Ice and Fire. We're going to focus on specifics within it, as well as what it means for the future of A Song of Ice and Fire, because frankly, it means quite a bit. Um, Like I said, we didn't realize this was going to be so good. We thought it would be a lot more like World of Ice and Fire, isn't that right? Did you, were you, what were you expecting from this book? I, I think I was expecting it to be very good, but I also <laughs> thought World of Ice and Fire was very good, so I'm maybe not the most unbiased person. Here, <laughs> That's suppose, a good point. But, uh, we're not the best. Uh, we're not the most unbiased about Song of Ice and Fire history. That's a yeah, good point. we love the history, so I was, <laughs> I was rapidly excited for the history. So what I guess I mean is, what <laughs> what did we expect other people's reactions to be? We, I don't think we expected other people to. I don't like know it that as I much. thought it would be number one on the New York Times bestseller list, which it was. So yeah, that's, that's true. true. That is really cool. Yeah. So in case you didn't know that, now you do. It is doing really well as far as book sales and uh, you know not, not that George needs the money but it's nice to see <laughs> the popularity the of validation yeah <laughs> good fake history good fake history and so this is a good problem for us to have because when we started uh covering the just the advanced information about fire and blood as in the excerpt we told everybody we were thinking of expanding our Patreon goal to the point of, of doing a monthly live stream. And we haven't reached that goal. In fact, we're going to scrap that goal because it kind of it's kind of silly to be trying to work up to a monthly live stream when we're already now doing a weekly live stream. <laughs> so, yeah, so that we had to change gears on that because, well, we didn't expect Fire and Blood to be so well-received, so... Uh, we, we expect it to be more like the World of Ice and Fire. And like Ashea said, that's not a bad thing at all. We loved, a song, we loved the World of Ice and Fire. But it was, if we're being critical, less readable. It was a little, it's, it's drier. I think that's fair to say. It was George's first attempt making his own fake history book. And I think he had some things in mind. You know, he originally had that plan to do the... You know, remember the spilled ink plan? He yeah. wanted to cover it. Remember like yes. that? He had all these ideas. <laughs> and I think that writing it from a major point of view was a cool idea, but it, it makes it 
drier. It makes it less readable. So Fire and Blood is full of dialogue and really interesting characters and storylines. And so he he modified his approach, and I think that makes it a lot more digestible. So if you're on the fence for getting this book, uh, I hopefully this helps. Hopefully this pushes you more towards buying it because, you know, obviously we're going to say good things about it no matter what because that's just how we are. But really, these things I'm saying, I'm not exaggerating. It really is... This really is a lot more readable. The, the characters in it are interesting, and it's it's just really well written. Uh, so, and I think a lot the widely the fandom has received it roughly the way I'm describing right now. So, how we're gonna do this is this first roughly hour or so of this live stream, we're gonna just do an overview. So, if you're kind of spoiler conscious still, you're safe because we're not gonna get into too many details yet. After the first hour, and we will announce it clearly when we're done with that first hour, we're moving into spoiler territory. And then from then on, as in every Tuesday, always at 6 p.m. Eastern, 11 GMT, we're going to be diving into the details. Except for Christmas, that's right. (laughs) Tuesday is is Christmas this year, or Christmas is Tuesday this year, rather. (laughs) And we will be skipping that week. So it'll be this week, next week, and then not the week after. And then from then on... For the near future, we're going to revisit the weekly live stream when season eight comes, because during season eight, we're going to pivot to covering the show for six to seven to eight weeks, and then back to Song of Ice and Fire, and uh, we'll, so we'll revisit it then. We may have, for, you know, maybe we'll get lucky and have Winds of Winter news by then. Speaking of the Winds of Winter, this is going to be a test run for us. New material. Uh, none of us were podcasting Hardly at all, except for maybe a podcast of Ice and Fire, so maybe a definitely them. couple other shows, maybe, that were not fully Game of Thrones dedicated, that were podcasting before Dance of Dragons came out. So none of us in this broad fandom of A Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones coverage has dealt with a new novel. We've dealt with, you know, these history books coming out. So it's a good problem to have. We don't know how we're going to do it. So this is kind of a test run for that. <laughs> we're going to figure out how we're going to cover so much new material at once. And, uh, yeah, so this is kind of a warm-up for that. Hopefully, it's a warm-up for something soon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Ashe and I have also talked about having guests, frequent guests for these discussions, because there's a lot of wide takes and wide uh, variety of people interpreting the information in different ways. That's what happens when it's new, right? You know, we haven't, this stuff isn't settled yet. We're we're still Mm -hmm. digesting it all. So uh, you guys can give us feedback on who you would like to see as guests on the show. And we will do our best to uh, bring them in. Mm, we're definitely going to have Lady Gwyn very soon. That's right. Lady Gwyn signed up as well um, to be on an episode shortly. And if you guys didn't hear, congrats to Lady Gwyn and Yoke Boy for getting married. Yeah. How cool is that? And also, speaking of Radio Westeros, we are all well underway with a plans to do a, probably two, we're not sure yet, episodes on the Dance of the Dragons Full scripted, full production. It'll have touches, you know, it'll have touches of both History of Westeros and Radio Westeros, so it'll be a nice combo effort. And um, for everyone that's putting in super chats right now, which we've already gotten, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, I, th- I believe our plan is not to address those until the halfway mark. Is that right? Unless they are not spoilery. If okay. they're not, well, a we, you know. A bunch of these aren't spoilery, and I put them in the document. Okay, well, I'll get to those after the announcements, then we'll be getting into it really soon. Cool. Um, okay, two more announcements, and then we'll start with these questions and get into our overview. The first one is we have new rules for episode voting on our Patreon. Uh, because we had so many part twos and part threes this year, we <laughs> had uh, topics that grew larger than we thought they would. So from now on, if you have 
if you're at a patron level that gives you a vote on future episodes, it's going to be from now on once we, and in fact, I'm going to release the vote shortly after this episode. You'll be getting that uh, email. We'll be letting you guys vote on all the rest of the episodes until the Wednesday winner comes out. So that'll be, uh, that's, that's cool. You guys get more voting and get to decide what we do next. Whether you guys want us to finish Blood Raven, whether you want us to finish Nymeria, whether you want us to do something else entirely, that'll be up to the voters. So, ah, democracy in action, right? <laughs> now, uh, also one last thing. We have been continuing with our Twitch streams. That's been a lot of fun. We are still co-playing, or co-playing, uh, running a, a house horror stream. That's H-O-A-R-E. Uh, the, the, we're, we're on, I guess, about 90 years into that campaign in terms of game time. And okay. it's every other Friday on Twitch. You can follow us on twitch.com or twitch.tv. They both work slash History of Westeros. And oh, do you want me to put that up on the screen? Yeah, sure. Yeah, please put that up on the screen for me. And also, we have if you don't catch the the show on Twitch, if you don't catch the live stream on Twitch, like I said, every other Friday, the next one is not this Friday, but the one after. That will be uh, you, you. We we upload the replays to another channel that we have called Westeros History Gaming, and it's on YouTube. It's really small. There aren't even a hundred subscribers yet. Because it's only our uploads from the game streams. And uh, yeah, so check those out if you are so inclined. And we'll be starting another game stream besides Crusader Kings within a week or two as well. And that will uh, probably be following right after these Tuesday live streams. All right, enough of the announcements. Um, I do want to give a quick shout out to our patron supporters who make all this possible. Allow us to focus on so many different aspects of the Song of Ice and Fire fandom. And we really appreciate it. That includes Telenis the Talon, King of Gagasos, Rider of Telerius, the red dragon with scales, horns, and talons of Midnight Black, and Robert IV of House Ardeacor, Burn King of Blazewater Bay, Rider of Atroxus, the black dragon with bioluminescent spots like smoldering embers, and a banded blue tail. Cool, cool. All right. Uh, let's mm -hmm. see. Let's take a look at some of these early questions that we got. From Stannis Baratheon. Hi, Stannis. <laughs> I didn't know you were uh, in our chat. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Was Westeros better off without the Targaryen conquest? What a great question for Stannis to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because from Stannis's mind, he would have preferred to be the one to unite Westeros, right? He was like, I could have done a better job of uniting Westeros. No, I don't think they were better off without it myself. I think they needed to be united. They needed road systems connecting them in order to... You know, I think they needed to band together eventually for this next long night, honestly. so Yeah, I kind of agree. I think that, you know, there's always, it's, it, it gets into real world politics in a sense. Um, yeah. not, not specifically, yeah. <laughs> but conce conceptually, right? Um, I think, so. I, but I tend to agree that overall a, a lot of suffering was prevented. Certainly it caused some suffering to happen. Although not as much as you might think to conquer a whole continent. Like a lot of the rulers just bent the knee yeah, like the veil and the north a lot of death but yeah but probably less death in the aftermath though because there's less inviting <laughs> that's true you that's really very can't true. say for and, sure and that's and that's and this is proven by how the wall the watch started to decline after the conquest and it's because they it was very common for the losers on, on in a war to get sent to the wall but with the king's peace with Aegon saying nah you guys can't fight anymore if you fight i'm getting involved then that meant a lot fewer people going to the wall and the fact that a lot fewer people going to the wall proves that there's a lot less war in because of that. So I think that's pretty important. Okay. 
Uh, next one is from Chicksalub Rob. That is Robert the Fourth, our Deacor, our Dragon Rider. He says, "Hey guys, love what you do. I'll catch up on the stream tomorrow and remember the snow in Winterfell." That's right. We're still giving shout-outs to Maslacartho, even though uh, he, um, Mark has passed. passed. But we are moving that shout-out to the end. But it's still going to stay in there permanently. <laughs> Aziz wants a one-world government. <laughs> <laughs> Only if it's governed by dragons, though. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's where I break from the real-world new global order situation here. <laughs> question from Acre Frey. Uh, this question has nothing to do with Irish wristwatches. Are you slipping, my friends? No, <laughs> just kidding. He, of course, Acre Frey is our man who invented the... Or not invented, but suggested the Irish wristwatch... Uh, what do we call that? Recurring theme that we have? Recurring uh, joke? I'm getting pretty good at saying that. (laughs) (laughs) With the release of Fire and Blood, are you more or less excited about when you think The Winds of Winter will likely be released? Hey, fantastic question, Acre Frey, because that is something that I wanted to address. Uh, This concept was introduced to me by our friend Brendan Beefish. He believes, and I agree with him, that writing Fire and Blood and The World of Ice and Fire is going to help George write The Winds of Winter. Yeah. How yeah. could it not? Yeah, right? It gets all it gets all these thoughts organized. Like, yeah, it gets them organized, gets his creative juices flowing. He, yeah, it just, it's, yeah. Yeah, like, it's almost like, it's almost like a, an outline. Like, it's not an outline, but it's almost like he outlined the history better so that he could make use of it and, and not have to... Well, here's another way to put it. Originally, George planned for the series to be a trilogy. If you look, for example, I was looking today to see specifically... Magor the Cruel, what his mentions were early in the series. All the early mentions of Magor are about him killing the builders of the Red Keep. Mm-hmm. Like the first three times he's mentioned, mm-hmm. other than just Danny saying, I'm the blood of Magor the Cruel, like without yeah. mentioning any, any context yeah. to that. Um, so he, he, with a trilogy, he needed less backstory. Right? He just, mm-hmm. There was just less room for it and less was necessary. But he's expanded the story so much. It went from three books to seven. That means way more historical foreshadowing is needed, way more history. It gets to the point where he can't just throw historical references in there and not worry about it. He has to make sure he's, he's not overlapping anything or not you know, creating uh, canon problems where he contradicts himself. You know? But with a, with a smaller backstory, he doesn't have to worry about that. So, yeah, I think that's pretty huge. I think it's... Uh, and, and it's really annoying to see people complain at George. And now we all want the wins of winter. It's really annoying people say, hey, why are you wasting your time on this other stuff when you could be working on the wins of winter? When, when, I, when yeah. we think that it's, it is kind of not directly working on the wins of winter, but yeah, it is I mean, make, it's going to make it go faster. I mean, it's like I have a chore around my house that I have to get done, but I'm really burnt out on doing that chore. So I switch gears and do something else. It still helps me clean my house. But I just switch gears and it, it helps get me refreshed. Yeah, and that's a good point too. It's easier for him to write this. It's, yeah. it's like, okay, I want to, like you said, it gets his creative juices flowing. If he's like, if he starts writing and he gets an idea, you know, he, while writing the history, he can pivot to A Song of Ice and Fire and, and you know, it'll inspire him yeah. to finish a certain chapter or a certain arc. So, yeah, so that's really cool. Uh, for, hey, the super chat from Thomas Pappas, mm-hmm. our uh, AKA Hema Helminth. Mm-hmm. Happy belated anniversary to Ashea and Aziz, and happy Fire and Blood Day to all the HOW fans out there. Looking forward to this. Well, thanks, Tommy. Um, we're 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 trying. I'm trying to push yet another nickname for y'all. I think this one might stick. I tried with watchiners and that just didn't uh, you know i like i like westorians more westorians it took me a second yeah. to get that you were combining westerosi and um historian yeah so hopefully you guys like westorians second, <laughs> if not i'll just uh 
Valar back to the drawing board is, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's pretty good. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll, I'm going to start calling you all Westorians and hopefully it sticks. Okay, uh, from, one. from Tony3483, just for doing this stream. Fire and Blood is awesome. Thank you, Tony. Uh, we agree, and mm -hmm. we appreciate it. Got one from Stephen Stark here, who said, Ashea is the best. It is known. Good to see you today, Your Grace. It's nice <laughs> to see you, too. Happy belated birthday again. I know I wished it to you on the day of, but nice <laughs> to say it out loud. That's right. He is the hand of the queen, so it's it's appropriate for him to uh, <laughs> lead the charge <laughs> mm -hmm. on the Ashe is the bestest is, mm -hmm. which is uh, a, tr a, tr a true fact. Richard Tabor, Super Chat. I'm sure you guys will clutch this stream. This is Brown Dude on Twitch, by the way. Looking forward to the streams when I can catch them and the VODs when I can't. That's right. Of course, these are always going to be posted on our podcast stream afterwards, usually within 24 hours. And, uh, yeah, so that's that. Um, and finally, then... from the prince that wasn't promised, no <laughs> question, just love you guys. Well, we love you, too, even though you weren't promised. <laughs> and that's the prince what, that... now we're caught back up. No cool. spoilers in any of those super chats. Good job, you guys. Hope everybody has a nice beverage. I I'm drinking out of my Ice and Firecon Mm -hmm. A water bottle, but it is not water. It is coffee. You guys knew <laughs> I you guys knew. That's not a bottle either way, Aziz. You're right. What is this? Is a water It's a coffee thermos mug. <laughs> yeah, it's a water thermos. Know. It's now a coffee thermos. Yeah. I've uh but, yes. changed its purpose. <laughs> okay. So I, I think that um we're gonna like I said, we're gonna start with an overview mm -hmm. and we'll carry this on for maybe another forty five minutes and then we'll start taking more specific questions, start getting into details, start getting into theories. So again, if you're spoiler conscious, no worries. And we'll, we'll try to stick to the early parts of the book, because I know you, a lot of you guys, well, you have lives. You can't just sit down and read this book, spend all day on it. So a lot of people have read a third or half or et cetera. So not everyone's finished, so I want to keep that in mind, too. So we're going to try to focus, even when we do get into details, we're going to try to keep it to the early part of the book. Now, we knew the artwork in this book was going to be good. They never screw that up. G George is fairly particular about it. And he's really good at it. He's good at uh, picking artists, and you know he's got a lot of a lot of power in the industry, <laughs> being as, as successful yeah. as he is. So uh, we have the style is really neat. You get black and white art this time instead of the color of the World of Ice and Fire, mm -hmm. and I think that's really neat. It's different. You get uh, some really cool takes on a lot of different important figures. We have this piece here that I think is particularly awesome. We have Alisan lighting on the high tower, And uh, yeah, how cool is that? I love it. Mm -hmm. This is, of course, by Doug Wheatley, who did all the art for this book. And yeah, I love this image. I love the idea of this, of a dragon on top of the high tower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, it's really, it's... It's symbolic in ways that I haven't exactly pinned down yet. Yeah, <laughs> and that's mm -hmm. that's that's a thing that we're we're gonna, there's going to be things about this book that we aren't going to figure out for a month or two or three <laughs> or or what have you, and that's just the way it goes with really detailed, complicated, layered books. That's what we love about this series, and you know, anytime we get something big and new like this, it's gonna it's gonna last for a while. So yeah, so more on why we like this book. Uh, more on why I think it's more readable than The World of Ice and Fire. First of all, The World of Ice and Fire had some limitations. It, it originally had, it was only going to be 50,000 words. It ended up much, much bigger than things like 180. But they originally had it, a plan to condense it. And so what George, George wrote was too much for it. And so a lot of what we got in Fire and Blood is this, quote unquote, too much, the extra. 
<laughs> but he also went back and added some things. Um, and one of the proofs, I think, uh, that, uh, of what I said about how this book is more readable is that there's some theories coming up. People are discussing things in Fire and Blood that were in the World of Ice and Fire. Now, I'm not saying people weren't aware these things were in the World of Ice and Fire. This isn't some like, oh, we already knew about that theory. Uh, no, I don't mean it like that at all. I just mean that because this book is more entertaining, people are engaging with it more and these theories are getting discussed more. It isn't that people didn't know about them already. Maybe it is in some cases. Um, for example, there's people are talking about this, the Aegon, the letter uh, from Daria, from Dorne, uh, with regard to Rhaenys being shot down over, mm-hmm. over the hellhole. We'll talk about that a little later in the episode. But that, I don't think we got anything new on that in Fire and Blood. It was just kind of yeah. restated. Yeah. Pretty sure the detail is exactly the same from the World of Vices. Yet, n- nonetheless, it's a great episode. It's one of the most interesting things about the conquest, and, or the post-conquest. <laughs> and... That makes it worthwhile, makes it great to theorize, makes it fun, makes it a good mystery. So we will talk about that. Mm. Um, another thing, um, we, we noticed that there's a lot more women and alternative relationships in this book. And I think that some will call that pandering, but I think that argument fails. For one thing, there's still a huge amount of women being pushed out of power or looked down on or kidnapped. There's a ton of rape. If it was I pandering, mean, it'd be a lot more explicit. Yeah, right? It's, it's like pretty, you know, pretty vague and not very clear. Like, not everyone would even grasp that or would call it rumor. And there's literally like three, four characters like that. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I agree. really big, small minority. Yeah, so I think it's, yeah, I think that I think that's a silly argument, but I wanted to address it because um, a lot of you will see it out there and it, maybe it helps for you to hear a good counter-argument to it. Maybe you didn't need to hear that, but it, I like to yeah, like, make sure you guys are prepared. Who is going to be shocked or think it's pandering that the Targaryens in particular, who did whatever the hell they wanted, sometimes <laughs> slept with people of the same gender? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, they sleep with their sisters and brothers. I think they just do whatever the hell they want. And as Raina is one of them, she's like, I'll take my favorites and they'll ride dragons with me. Yeah. So George didn't change, like, his view on human nature. He changed what was being written down about human nature. It's a really interesting meta-commentary on how history is written in the real world. Because real-world history, no matter what culture you're in, was written down... You know, you've heard this, the phrase, history is written by the winners, but it goes beyond that. History isn't, isn't always about winning and losing. History is mostly about the current regime and what they do with power. Wars are only a small part of that. Wars are often how they get power. But, so when you say the winners, it's not just the winning of the war. It's everything they do after they've won that war. And generally the winners in this, in this case, the people writing down history are generally upper middle class or rich men of the dominant race of wherever they are, whether it's Chinese, whether it's American, whether it's a different European race, whether it's anything, wherever it is, Egyptian, whatever. Uh, That said, George does write about numerous books in here. I mean, it's not like he wrote these books and they're not released, but (laughs) they exist in world. There are books about women's history here, which is something that people have criticized his series um, a lot for, because in in the real world, there are diaries written by, you know, higher class women. There are 
books written about these, you know, important yeah. women. And so for there to not exist, for the maesters just to not write about women is not actually historic, historically accurate at all. Um, so we do get some things like we have this um, Archmaester Abalon who wrote, When Women Ruled, Ladies of the Aftermath, which is just, there were so many women ruling after the Dance of the Dragons that he, the maesters couldn't just ignore this as a, something to write about. Yeah. But then we also have that Corianne Wilde, like that's a book that isn't like a scholarly book, but it's about a woman. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's really good. It's, it's a really good take on, on how real world history is recorded in a lot of ways. And like you said, these things do exist. These diaries, these writings of women, they just weren't official. A lot of times they weren't labeled as official text or official record, even though they're just as valid as anything else written down by a contemporary source for the, for the most part. But they, but the people in power would, you know, prefer to call the official histories, the quote unquote, the things that they commissioned uh, or people that wrote it were not going to write negative things about the current regime, you know? Uh, so things like that. There's a lot of things that fa- people who are fans of real world history are aware of that's kind of a flaw in the way history has always been recorded. And George is sort of speaking to that. Mm-hmm. Basically, Gildane is is a lot more woke, you could say. No, he's wiser. Yeah. He's just he's a, a smarter guy. He's a little wiser, guy. yeah. yeah. Uh, um, he's, he's at least read a lot. He's well-read and he, he knows about a lot of books. <laughs> that's right. So, And some examples of this. In other places, George goes on about, he talks about the difference between Mushroom's account versus Septon Eustace's account versus... I just want to bring up, by the way, that LML brings up that all the maesters have been pulling the pud to that book, to the Corianne <laughs> Wilde book, of course. <laughs> a caution for young girls. Yeah, they, they don't want uh, to give says, it official sanctioning. He says, you notice totally Gilda knows the book backwards and forwards. You're right. <laughs> he does know it quite well. I mean, it sounds like a fascinating read, honestly. <laughs> it does. It's, uh, yeah, Especially because you get to like compare the differences among the stories just like other things you yeah. really would want to like crack and yeah, crack that, that code that whole like bit is is really entertaining but it's also making the same meta commentary about history about all these different sources and how like some of these can't be right but some of them you know there's probably a grain of truth and some of these things etc uh and he go and he talks about it with the um with the church and the maesters and that's another thing for real real world as well he talks about how most of the history it isn't just the opinions of men it's literally men who are employed as scribes for most for most of the part. And these and he George talks about how some of these scribes would just change things. Yeah. They would just be like, I don't like that sentence. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and you don't these guys aren't feminists almost without with, with for, almost without exception. Yeah. You know, we're talking about medieval scribes. So yeah. they're not gonna just like be pro woman. They're more likely to erase something about a woman or erase something about sexuality than they are to add it. So over time, that's going to add up and have a you know a domino effect over time of her history of of what people perceive. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also more in world changes, right? Like George did, like I, I, there was no new Pates. <laughs> like, like there was Pates that we already knew about, but Pate was like the common name of Westeros, and there's mm-hmm. like he didn't give us any new Pates, <laughs> but he gave us three new beans. Mm-hmm. Three characters named Beans. Maybe Bean is the new Pate. Maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's the lesson here. My favorite was Black Bean, the character named Black Bean. Oh, yeah. Mm-mm. Is that yeah. you, that's your favorite bean? <laughs> no, I don't think that's... Black Bean? That's my favorite name for a be- nickname for a guy named Bean. My okay. favorite bean was Dick Bean. Uh, how could that not be your favorite name for a bean? Yeah, this bean shames us all. It's too good. Also, there was a, also there's a word pun in the audio version, by the way. So, you guys, if you want to get... If, if, I, if, if we've 
pitched you successfully on this book and you haven't gotten it yet, go to historyofwesteros.com. We have links up there. Get it in audio or on uh, Kindle or in the physical copy. It's really nice in all three versions. Roy Dotrice has passed, RIP Roy. So Simon Vance is reading it, and Simon Vance is very solid. He doesn't, he's not as fancy with his voices. His voice doesn't have quite as much gravity, in my opinion, but he's better with his pronunciations and his consistency, which I know is a, a, a frequent complaint about Roy. Not from me, but I recognize it and don't argue with that complaint. Uh, so, and, and so, and, and Simon Vance made almost a bit of a pun in that Dick Bean incident. Uh, he says, because Bean has a line. He says, I've been a king's man yeah. since yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I was born. I've been. Uh... Yeah, that's a pun in the written version, too. Yeah, I just, I just didn't catch it okay. till it was pronounced. Because yeah, he says, I've been. Like, he gave it like, an oh, accent. Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have caught that, but I didn't. As someone called Richard Tabor says here, Ode to Sean Bean. <laughs> All these Bean references. Yeah, you know, it could be because most of these beans die. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's funny. I hadn't thought. Do I wonder, do they all die? Do, else, do we see them all die? I don't remember what happened to Black Bean. I think okay. he, I don't know if his fate was mentioned, but yeah, Dick Bean dies like, he, remember it yeah. says he died instantly. I, like, it might be a good catch, actually. I'll, I'll be curious. To, you know. That is a good catch. We'll have to investigate. It's very the random beans. to have all these beans. Be on the lookout for future beans. <laughs> beans are meant to be eaten. Uh, so there is, so the, the, on the, on the, on the uh, topic of real life retconning. Now, to be clear, a retcon isn't a real life thing. <laughs> it's only something that can exist in fiction. And what it means is it's, it's retroactive continuity is what it's short mm. for. And it's when you, when an author just changes the truth of what something, usually because they've screwed up, they've made a mistake, they've done, they've contradicted themselves. And so they have to fix it. George has only done this a few times. He's very mo- and, and and none of these, for the most part, were significant. Like one of them was calling Renly blue-eyed and then calling Renly green-eyed, and he mm-hmm. re- and he fixed that by calling Renly blue-green-eyed mm-hmm. from that going forward. I mean, um, I tell you, I most people in my life, you could, you'd ask me what color their eyes are, and I'd be like blue-green, like, <laughs> brown, blue-green, like, blue-green, whatever, whatever. I'll say whatever, light-colored. <laughs> so he so. When these scribes, but when these scribes are changing history by just deciding I don't like that passage and I'm going to change it, they're kind of our retconning history in a sense. Mm -hmm. Now, we actually got that in the Targaryen family tree. Now, I'm not going to go into detail just yet because I want you all to read that first, but to read the significance of it first. But I will tell you what the change was and then let you, because if you aren't aware of the change, when you read Fire and Blood, you're not going to know it was a change and the significance of it might go over your head. Uh, It might go over your head anyway because it's pretty sneaky. But you have very little chance of catching it without being aware of this retcon. Mm-hmm. Now, or at least it adds more gravity to the, the uh-huh. situation. Okay, so the retcon was George changed Jaehaerys and Alessand's children to the point where the first child to, to live, because the first child they had died right away, uh, like died in the cradle. The second child uh, did not die in the cradle, and her name is Daenerys. Uh, her name was not Daenerys prior to the publication of Fire and Blood. It was changed about six months ago in an advance release. The, he released the, the, the family tree ahead of time, and he made that change. So be very aware of that when you're reading it because it's pretty significant. Pay attention to the other names of, of the children and what order they come in. Yes, I've, I've said too much. No. no, that's good. It's really interesting. Um, I think it's, it might be even too on the nose, so be very, very aware of that. Uh, I will talk a little more in detail about it or a lot in detail about it after the first hour is done 
um, be, w especially if people want us to. Otherwise, we'll, we'll bring it back some other time. <laughs> now, uh, another thing George brings up over an, like an overarching theme is the perils of incest. I think he, he references it more. Yeah. Uh, and it occurred to me to kind of look up what kept bringing the incest tradition back in the Targaryen yeah. family tree. And a lot of times it was love. Yeah. Harris and Alice, they were, they were determined to not let Harris and Alice in get together. And they were like, nah, we're in love. Uh -huh. You can't stop us. Same thing with, uh, you know, uh, what's his face? Uh, Duncan's, uh, Duncan the Small. and Not Duncan the Small. He wasn't, he wasn't, no. uh, that wasn't an incest relation. Sorry, his younger yeah. brother, Jaehaerys, and Shara, they're, they're uh, his, mm -hmm. his brother and sister. Those Jaehaerai. Yeah, those Jaehaerai. <laughs> love their incest. <laughs> and he had Jaehaerys first and the second. And then we have uh, Viserys the first. It wasn't incest, but his, you know, his... Uh, Nina brings up it wasn't with Aegon the fourth and Nerys, of course. Although you could make the argument that, you know, there was love between Nerys and Aemon. But, uh, that's true. Was, but that was not an incest relationship that was for love. That's she true. <laughs> and crazy Baylor the Blessed and ultra-religious Daron II also were kind of against the incest marriages. And none of their... And, and Baylor just wouldn't go through it himself. And none of... Uh, only one of uh, Daron's... Mm. No, none of Daron's kids' sons married uh, a, a, a Targaryen. They all married outside of the family. Yeah, certainly some of them had dragons, which is the whole big thing that I said. It's like, well, when you have a dragon, you can do whatever you want. The exceptionalism and Targaryens being different and all that. But later we still see they don't have dragons and they still try the incest. So. And it's uh, and it, had, it has poorly. more consequences yeah. in some cases because you're right. They don't have the dragons to back it up, um, to back them up. I did love that bit of, you know, about the exceptionalism, about the, you know theology of how to excuse this yeah we knew it had to be addressed it's like wait because it was kind of this thing hanging out over over the series like how did the because the faith hates it and we knew they hated it and we knew magor and jaharis magor beat them down and then jaharis mm -hmm. kind of smoothed it out yeah but we don't really get a, we didn't ever got a full explanation of of how it was that was convincing too and like and they yeah. sent out all the different people the, the seven or whatever to yeah. uh to proselytize the good word of exceptionalism. And this is a good example, almost, of historical retconning. They basically said, it's not, it's, it's they kind of changed their own beliefs. They were like, oh, but the, se the seven have this, but mm. the seven didn't make the Targaryens. Yeah. <laughs> the seven made the Andals. And this has a real world parallel. The Macedonians, when they conquered Egypt under Alexander the Great, and then shortly afterwards, Alexander died, and his empire was carved up into several little pieces the piece that the Egypt piece went to the Ptolemaic dynasty, and the Ptolemies just retconned Egyptian history. They decided to insert a god named Macedon in the Egyptian pantheon and and wrote it down as if he had existed since the beginning of time. And so that was how they kind of got people to accept their rules. So this is has semi-historical basis, and the Ptolemies were quite incestuous, by the way. <laughs> so <laughs> even more of a parallel. Uh, so there you go. We also have a lot more mentions of the Faceless Men. Uh, again, since we're not talking spoilers too much, I'm not going to bring up the context of them being mentioned, but mentioned quite a few times. Uh, so to me, that is maybe indication of their rising importance in the next book, which I think a lot of us predicted, but maybe it's going to be even more than we thought. Um, there were also more mentions of new foreign gods. Yeah, That's kind of cool, some, right? Yeah, there were definitely some cool mentions, which I particularly appreciate, especially because as you see back here, if you're watching, um, 
in the Essos map of Michael's, he did um, the gods of Essos, this pantheon thing, and so it was really fun seeing how he chose to personify these gods, and so I really want him to do the new gods we found out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bet Michael might be excited about doing some of those. I wonder if he's, uh, I, don't, I don't know if he's read the whole book yet, but if he, mm. as soon as he gets to those parts, he'll probably, uh, you know, a light, will go, a light bulb will go up. He's like, oh, look at that, new... New yeah, gods. Yeah, there were mm-hmm. some cool ones. I forget which one. I want to look it up real quick. You can keep talking. But, one that stood um, out to me was Pantera, which is... Yeah, Pantera. <laughs> that was one of them for sure. It's the one that made me giggle a little bit because, you know, I used to listen to that band. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just... I'm pretty sure it's just Spanish for Panther. Yeah. It's just... Uh, yeah, I don't think it's even some fancy huh. made-up word. I think it's just literally Spanish for Panther. <laughs> Someone will correct me in the chat if I'm wrong about that. I hope so. Um... Okay, so here's something else we're going to do. Um, I'm going to interrupt our overview briefly for uh, a recurring feature we're going to have in our in these live streams going forward. A lot of you guys have seen this already, at least a different version of it. What we've been doing on Twitter is posting what I've been calling Parallel Lives. And these Parallel Lives are a comparison of usually... A, a current story character line, a storyline character, someone in mm. A Song of Ice and Fire, who has a historical parallel. And a lot of times these parallels are really tight. A lot of them are much more close than you might think. You might think that, oh, this guy is kind of like this guy. An easy example is Aegon the Conqueror and Daenerys. There's a lot that they have in common. Three dragons, they ride the black dragon, they're going to try to conquer Westeros, etc. There's a lot of things like that. That one's a little more straightforward. There are some that are not so straightforward, and some of these are really powerful in terms of not just being fun, but in their ability to predict what's coming for the current storyline character. So, twice an episode, we're going to do these about once an hour. And this first one is the first one I ever posted on Twitter. Some of you guys have seen this one already. I've also posted it in our Facebook group. And this, so here we go. It's, here's the example. On screen, I have Cruel, violent to his own family, largest in-class mount, path of destruction across the Riverlands, captured Hall easily, killed a Targaryen, triggered brutal, brutal revenge, not beautiful revenge, <laughs> brutal revenge, and then died in an epic duel versus a warrior prince. So, a lot of you have already realized that one of the answers is Gregor Clegane, okay? And you'd be right. That is, that is the answer to one of them. The other, well... I'm going to let you all think about that for a few minutes. Some of you may have already figured it out. I'm going to go a little farther with some of our discussion. And then in about five to ten minutes, we'll come back and I'll give you the answer to the other one. And we'll also discuss the rest of the parallel. Well, I can talk about the gods now. Yeah. I wanted to bring up. So Perfect. brought up um, the six-breasted cat goddess Pantera. Very important <laughs> to mention that. I forgot she had six breasts. Yes. But also there's Indros of the Twilight, who was male by day and female by night. Okay. Just get, got my mind thinking about it. You know, with any of these legendary or mythological things, I always want to think about what they could, you know, parallel to and what they could hearken to. So that is interesting. We already knew the pale child, Bacalon of the Sword, and we have that up here above my head, actually, that little child. And then this one was really interesting. Faceless Sagail, the giver of pain. Yeah. Just because I think the, the faceless part with the giver of pain part makes me think of some sort of, like, inverse of the faceless men, because, you know, they're 
releasing you from oh. pain in, in some way. But also just the, the G-A-E-L of Gail just made me think of Alisanne's daughter Gail randomly. It's just not a, a word that we see a lot in the series. It's a good point. So anyways, I, I thought that was interesting. And I uh, have a little more to say about Sagail. Sagail was a character George R. R. Martin invented in his first ever story. When he yeah. was 17 years old, he wrote a story called Only Kids Are Scared of the Dark, and it was it was for a fanzine uh, about his superhero character, Dr. Weird. <laughs> and Sagail was some nightmare demon bringer of pain, this evil creature uh, and tormentor of dreams and all this stuff. So it was pretty cool. Yes, um, Gal, the Pale Child did appear. We've heard about Bacalon the Pale Child a few times. Yeah. What are you looking at now, Z? Ah, that's funny. Yeah. I've uh, read the, the I, I think I've read the wrong one, but it still works. <laughs> oh. I read the I didn't read the right parallel lives tweet, but it still works. It's I oh, did a different comparison. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> but I didn't say who I wanted it to be, so it still works. I made a mistake that doesn't matter. How about that? Oh, huh. So yeah. Okay, yeah, so uh, now, okay, so people have had time to think about the, the answer to the question. Now. The answer was Megor, Gregor, and now it's uh... I had intended for it to be Megor, uh, and it does work as Megor. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, the answer is Aemon One Eye. Aemon One Eye was cruel and violent to his own family. He, he certainly murdered er, uh, Lucerys. To be fair, Lucerius cut out his eye. Like, what is up with those kids? Like, drawing, attacking each other as children with daggers in the face. And these were vicious kids. Neither of them, none of them were good. Well, mm. maybe Daron was okay. Yeah, he seemed fine. Yeah. At least fine. So, so during the Dance of the Dragons, Aemon just flew all over the Riverlands, burning things. Just burning castles, destroying stuff. Well, so did Gregor. Tywin ordered him to do that. They both captured Hall easily. Gregor took it from Vargo Hote, who was... His men had abandoned him, etc. Killed a Targaryen, triggered brutal revenge. Well, we know Gregor killed uh, Aegon. Um, or did he? Uh-huh, he did. No, he killed Aegon. Um, I'm a believer in young Griff being Fagon. And whether or not he really did, it triggered the brutal revenge. <laughs> whether or not he actually did it. Uh, and, of course, the brutal revenge was from the warrior prince that he died in the epic duel with. And that, of course, was the Red Viper. Now, in Aemon's case... It was the brutal revenge was the killing of Arax, who triggered or Arax, Arax and Lucerius, which triggered the blood and cheese incident of the murder of uh, poor um, Jaehaerys, little mm-hmm. little Jaehaerys there. And then the epic duel was Daemon Targaryen, who George himself has compared to Oberyn Martell. Yeah, so the epic <laughs> duel was 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 itself a parallel. <laughs> Now, uh, some of some people may have noted that there is a strong comparison to Megor, and that's the one I meant to make because I wanted to talk about Megor. <laughs> I just have to share this, this this line from Eliana: "Who hasn't brandished a dagger or two in their youth?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> <laughs> I, for me, it was probably more of a butter knife. You know, I don't know about <laughs> <laughs> cracking me up. <laughs> the butter knives of today are the daggers of yesterday. <laughs> Um, so with Magor and Gregor is also a fantastic comparison. So I'll do that one another day. I'll do that one next week, maybe. <laughs> we notice with Magor and Gregor, even their names are similar. Magor, mm-hmm. Gregor. So I'll come back with that one next week. But we've got another. Actually, maybe we'll do that one for the second half of this one. But we'll see. I'll, if, I can, if I can look that up in time. Anyway, so let's get back to it. Do we have another super chat here? 
Um, yeah, we got one. I put it in the document. Okay, is it one we can answer it's now, for, or is it for uh, later? Yeah, it's, it's for now. Okay, cool. It's after this section we were on right now. See, oh, no. Okay, right so there. we have from Avril Carey. Great to see you both. Can't wait to hear more about your take on Jaharis and good Queen Alison. 22 live press-ups tonight, Aziz. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so we will, yeah, we'll, we'll be saying a lot about Harris and Alison. In fact, just after this, I'm going to do a big, a little overview on page counts for people who are curious on how much of the book was what. And mm -hmm. as far as what she means about the 22 press-ups, I wonder, is that a European way of calling them? Push-up, yeah, that's, yeah. What they, that's what they call them. Okay, so in America, we call them push-ups. I've been doing a 22 push-ups challenge to raise awareness for uh, veteran suicide. 22 veterans, on average, commit suicide every day. And I've been doing um, doing that, raising awareness on Facebook, sharing some charitable links and things like that. So, no, I, I don't think the camera is pointed in the right way for that. <laughs> so, I, I would be down on the floor where you can't see me. But maybe some other day. We'll have, maybe we'll have some co-thing where Sean's doing dancing and I'm doing push-ups. Sean's actually doing the push-up challenge, too. How he dances on your back while you do the push-ups? Hmm. That sounds hard. Well, but, uh, but maybe. <laughs> Anyways. Okay, so yeah, so so let's do, let's divert for a minute to the uh, page count stuff, so you guys can get a sense of where George focuses attention on how much, and you can get a sense of how much of it is new. Because yes, a lot of the book is not new. A lot of it is the Princess and the Queen, the Rogue Prince, parts of the World of Ice and Fire. But that said, a lot of it is new. M maybe I think more than half. Yeah, I mean, for example, I mean, you listed a lot here, and all basically all of the Jaharis and Alisan stuff is new. And yes. that alone is 275-plus pages. That's the largest section in the book. Yes. So that, and that, we really didn't know anything about that time period at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost entirely new, other than a few very basic, yeah. outline type things. We knew who, some of the kids she had. Yeah, we knew the roads were built, but we didn't know yeah. the circumstances or when but, yeah, or so. what allowed them to pay for it, any of that stuff. And th that detail is in there. But then the next biggest section is the Dying of the Dragons, which is a bunch of stuff we did know, but there's a bunch of new stuff in there, too. Yeah, I would, I would say that something like a fifth to a quarter of the Dance of the Dragons is new. There's a, and I'm not counting the aftermath because the aftermath is, is is a huge source of new stuff. So only the war itself, uh, and the the lead up to it. The lead up to it has a little bit more for sure. Mm -hmm. There's a few more details here and there, a little more details, a lot of different characters, a few more new small storylines. Um, definitely more details on some of the characters in the war whose storylines were not completed because it was abridged. That's satisfying for sure to see some of these characters that you just see them mentioned and you never find out what happens to them. So that's nice. Mm -hmm. Almost all of those are loose ends yeah, are tied whereas, up. like the majority of Aegon the First and the Sons of the Dragon we've had released because especially because we had Sons of the Dragon released already. Yeah. Um, Although so there's a little about, bit of new stuff there's a little there. new stuff in there. But so like out of a hundred pages, I'd say probably eighty percent we knew and twenty yeah. percent. I'd say that's about something. right. This is forty eight pages of Aegon the First, which almost all old, and which unfortunately that's that's a little too bad because if you're if you're starting to yeah, read the book, starting to read the book, and talk. you're like looking for new stuff, and you're like, well, none of this is new. <laughs> but but you, it gets new around the end of Magor's reign, I'd say. Like that's when there's a little bit before that, but most of the new stuff in the Sons of the Dragon is 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 has to do with the transition between Magor and Jaehaerys, which is fleshed out more. And then, like you said, huge portion on Jaehaerys and Alysanne. It starts with Jaehaerys because Alysanne is is a lot younger at first, and and Jaehaerys is. By the way, that's another recurring theme before the dragons is kings that ascend to the throne without being of age. Mm -hmm. And that only happened, that didn't happen nearly as much the, after the, the dragons. With the death of the dragons, too, I mean, with, with Aegon the Third, but yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like that midway, you know, they were kind of around. Yeah, and place. his descendants, like, because uh, he had, uh, his sons were Daron, the young dragon, who took over at 14, although he was more like an adult because he was given his full authority right away. Um, anyway, uh, that was a bit of a side. So Sons of the Dragon is 56 pages. Like she said, it's, it's maybe 10%, 15% of that's new. So there's a little new stuff in there. Uh, and then towards the end. Now here's where it's almost all new again. We have The Hour of the Wolf which is about 22 pages, and that's almost entirely new. It's like 20 out of 22 pages is new on that, probably, and it's good. Then we have The Hooded Hand, which I didn't know what the hell that meant. (laughs) And now I do, obviously. But that's, like, in terms of what a neat new section, it is. It's very cool. It's it's more aftermathy stuff, and it's, it's really neat. Uh, then we have War and Peace and Cattle Shows, <laughs> which is also... In- I swear, that, that kind of title like the kind of thing you would name one of our our section titles for <laughs> our regular our episodes. episodes. It's just like War and Peace and Cattle Shows. You're Very right. your humor. That is, you're Me right. Me and Gildane would get along. Uh, <laughs> and that's about 30 pages, and it's really good. And then we have Oakenfist. I'll tell you, when I got the book, I did not start with the first chapter. I went to Oakenfist, and I read that <laughs> chapter first, and then I went to the beginning because I knew that I knew so much of the first Egg on the First and Sons of the Dragon. I just really wanted to tear into some really new content. So yeah. And, I went with that. And what was your – What was? how did you feel after reading it? Were you satisfied? I was satisfied, but I felt like I, I would I needed the context of bef- the chapters before to f- truly appreciate um, the, like, political landscape that Oakenfish was uh, alive during. Okay. Yeah, that makes um, sense. And we have more to look forward to in his story eventually because yeah. he's a young man by the end of this book. It's uh, true. So he, uh, he goes – he lives on um, for many more years, which we already knew, so that's not a spoiler – uh, so he's in fact part of the Young Dragon's conquest of Dorne. So uh-huh. we know he outlives Egg yeah. on the Third, <laughs> which <laughs> Egg on the Third lives till I believe 157. So that is, uh, yeah, that's a no, long time away. I really like the bit with Oakenfish going to High Tower, though. Yeah, really oh, good stuff. stuff. So you guys have, yeah, if you, you, that's near the end of the books. I know a lot of you guys who are reading the book haven't gotten to that yet. So it's something to really to look forward to. And then the last section is the Lycene Spring slash End of the Regency, and that's 42 pages, so it's, it's one of the longest sections that's one section. Because really, Terrace and Alisand is 275 pages, but that's several different sections that I just kind of mashed together to describe at once. So this is one of the longest single chapters. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting and also almost entirely all new. There's a yeah. couple of really Tell cool anecdotes you. in it. I feel really bad for Aegon the Third. I mean, I, I suppose I already did before, but, like, you really get a sense of just how depressed and, like, tra- traumatized he is, you know, and people are judging him for his reaction. I'm like, he's just doing the best he can. He saw some terrible things. Who would not be a sad sack there? Yeah, I mean, when he takes over... When he when he becomes king, and this still, I'm not going to get anything we didn't already basically know. He, <laughs> it was a huge, horrible winter. Yeah. The realm had been just ravaged by this awful civil war, the Dance of the Dragons. He saw his own mother get eaten by a dragon in front of him. As and he like knew a, that he lost like his brother. Like, that's one of the things that got him the most, for felt sure. bad about abandoning him, yeah. yeah. And he lost his own dragon, and, and his yeah. dragon was killed under him. He was traumatized yeah. by that experience. It's all terrible. And then any time he tried to like grasp a little bit of power for himself, he would just be shot down or made fun of or any of these little things. Yeah, they like, would treat him like he, a child. Yeah, or, exactly. It was very yeah. frustrating to me to read. I just felt for him. I was very glad when he put his foot down, even if I felt bad for that Manderly, you know, obviously, because he was doing a decent job. Yeah, he was but, better than the previous guy. He was better than Unwin Peak, yeah, that's for still, sure. <laughs> he still didn't treat uh, Aegon very well. <laughs> yeah, no, he did not. So, um... 
so that's all really good. And I want y'all, when you read that, if you haven't yet, or if you are going to read it again, think about Jon Snow when you're reading about Aegon the Third. It's, oh, yeah. It's super tight, those parallels. We'll get deeper with those when As we, we go on. Yeah, there's definitely something. Again, we haven't seen how Aegon the Third's life pans out. And we don't. There's a lot of details we don't know, but there's definitely some that we see that got my mind spinning on what the implications could be for Jon. So I'm, I'm quite excited to talk about that, actually. Right on. Okay, um, let's see here. Uh, let's go back to some of the other overview stuff we had. Do we have any other questions to get to? Nope, we're good. Okay. Um, good. Okay, so another thing we had, uh, again, not too many details just yet. We'll, we'll deal with them individually as we get to them. But there were several examples of just really overt magic. Mm-hmm. Right, like the kind of the kind of thing that's we've hardly seen at all or haven't seen at all, and to me that's telling. I think George is warming us up because mm. the, the magic has risen gradually, mm. right, over this, this, this the five books. Kind of yeah. at times it's kind of leveled off, and then it's kind of maybe taking some spikes here and there. I think maybe this is a hint that we're going to get a lot more magical stuff in the Winds mm-hmm. of Winter. And we kind of already suspected that because, right, we already suspected the others would be kind of making more progress, the dragons would be getting older, things like that. But we may have been, uh, look, we may have been light on those predictions. It might be even more. We might be, ex- we might, should be expecting a lot more magic. Mm. Um, what did you think? I mean, about some of these, like, Really crazy examples, again, without the I mean, specific. we've already gotten, like, some significant magic. I mean, you think about Victorian's hand and stuff like that. Good point, Victorian's You can't help hand. but, like, again, we, th- we thought of Rhea, uh, Rhea just because some of the, like, not a one-to-one comparison, but just in some of the com- some of the um, descriptions of her and his hand are a little similar, but just in, like, they're both very high magic type things. Yeah. Um, and so I do think that we have already been getting some of that in the books and hints towards it and things we're wondering about from the horn to krakens showing up to the wall coming down to more children of the forest to a million other little things that... I think that it's well set up for us to see more magic. I mean, Melisandre has already done some significant stuff, and we yeah. can see her doing more. It's hard to get more over to Shadow Babies. The skin changing <laughs> element of it all, and John's, you know, surviving Second his life. death. And, yeah, resurrection. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think we already can see the groundwork laid for a lot more magic to come into play. It's a fair point. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, when you lay when you lay it all out like that, all the examples that we already had. You're right. There is a lot, but a lot. But if you but yeah. but a lot of those examples were in dance. Right? Yeah, yeah, they were. So, but you could a lot of them, a lot they of them were more, there, but, or you. There were the hints that they were coming to come to pass soon. That's were there, true, I or think. they were prophesied to come, or you know. Well, yeah, definitely like things like with Alice Rivers in the book um, and her magical things. You can't help but think of uh, yeah, like what? Of yeah, <laughs> Melisandre's powers and, yeah. and things like that. And some of the diseases seem like they might have a magical element. There's there's a good bit of disease in Fire and Blood, uh, and some of it seems like it might not all be totally natural. Um, you know, we know Grayscale doesn't seem to have natural origins, so that already kind of lines up with sort of what we knew. Um, and there's there's a good bit of discussion of beyond the incest discussion. There's also some discussion of childbirth, which is something I really like to see George push back on 
An I loved when I loved when um, Reyna yelled and yelled about about her about um, Rogar getting Alyssa pregnant and like I mean she herself has been traumatized by the idea of this sort of thing which makes sense that women would be terrified of childbirth and marriage that you know marriage because it comes with childbirth and that's why um, Reyna would have gotten with Andrew because she just didn't want to have to ever go through childbirth like that again. Yeah, I mean it's um, you're it's it's there's in a her old age there's a there's a complaint that exists not just in Song of Ice and Fire, but a lot of fandoms that, that death and childbirth is used too often as a plot device. Yeah. Now, I, I tend to somewhat agree with that complaint, but at the same time, it is true that death and childbirth was way too unfortunately common in certain you know medieval-style settings. So it's got to be in there somewhat to be realistic. It just doesn't have to be a plot device mm-hmm. so often. You know, I think yeah. that would be... If it just happened off screen, uh, there was you know. a lot of that added in this book. <laughs> there was a there lot. There was a lot. Of... I was like I said, I was at least grateful that Reyna railed against this, and and Alisan as well. There were three, bit. at um, least three railings against. Yeah, it, but they were like either angry with it or just saying like, "Look, this doesn't make sense. Like she shouldn't. She's too. She's not healthy enough to have a baby. She shouldn't be getting married right now." Yeah. So there were some that were just logically, you know, based, but some were definitely like in anger or fear. Yeah, I mean, okay, so let's let's back this up to the beginning of this discussion because this has existed in the fandom for a long time. And I'm going to go ahead and brain brain blame Braveheart for getting some of this, not Braveheart, uh, but blame I was going to talk about First Night also, which is related and Braveheart is to blame for that. But before I get into that, I'm going to blame a lot of different medieval fantasy or medieval historical fiction uh, getting giving the wrong impression. It's something that is that a lot of us have debated a bit here and there. And here's here's the bottom line. Medieval uh, women did not generally have kids before the age of 20 or so. They, it, it was a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> You're not unlikely to die. And it's just... It was more, it was more likely somewhat, somewhat for the higher class women too. For the higher class women, yes. That's somewhat. what I was going to say, yes. Somewhat it's and particularly... Not significant, but somewhat. Yeah. It's le- it's, it wasn't common in the lower upper class. It was the reason it was more common in the, especially among the ultra elite, is because of dynastic considerations. Like if your house is going to die out if you don't have kids, and your house is this big powerful thing that matters. So that doesn't apply to ninety nine point nine nine percent of everybody. So, mm-hmm. and Game of Thrones, frankly, is focused on that ninety nine point nine nine percent, and we're focused. We're we're the setting is a time of unrest, of civil war, of people being killed off. So yeah. Dynasties are threatened. So that's why you see these young marriages. That's why you see Sansa getting married. Remember, remember Ned was like, she's too young to get married. Yeah. That, they even said it then. Yeah. But Robert's like, no, we got we to gotta t- unite these houses. It's just a betrothal for now. They don't have to actually, you know, have the wedding, etc. Bring us to a little bit later and she's marrying Tyrion, but thankfully <laughs> they were like, Tyrion, and she was like, yeah, this is too young. Yeah, and, and but Ty, yeah, Tyrion thankfully had good morals about it, but <sighs> like Tywin is like, get her pregnant. Yeah. You know, or get her, or, yeah, or actually he wasn't like that. She'll he, die in the act, he yeah. just said, consummate the marriage. Yeah, yeah. He was like, if you wait, you can wait on getting her pregnant, but consummate yeah. it. Consummate it. <laughs> you know, he's like, do it. Um, yeah. So. The other two people to bring this up are Alisanne. Alisanne mm-hmm. brings it up as like it's too too young to have kids, and the Maesters. The Maesters yeah. suggest that, that. So I'm I, I, I like the learned Alisanne people. Alisanne had the particular experience of having so many children, where she you know realized yeah, personal this. for her. She, you know yeah. 
And she, yeah, and so many of her kids died. I mean, it's, I'm not even talking about the ones who died as adults. I'm talking about, yeah. like, she had yeah. ones who died as stillbirth. Yeah, so or, she knew that this is a, it was like, she was like, I, I'm sure she was well aware that she might not have survived any one of those births, and she had a lot of births. So yeah. when she has, like, a sickly young daughter who is not that strong, it seems, like, very reasonable to be like, yeah, maybe this one doesn't need to have kids. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, not. Maybe, maybe they can wait a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> their dynasty isn't threatened. Like, look how many. Yeah, yeah. yeah they had a bunch of kids. They just true. They weren't threatened. <laughs> like it was with Alyssa and, and Rogar. He had four uh, yeah. brothers. Yeah, it's true. He did, I mean, <laughs> that, yeah. he, that he was that he trusted. Like he, yeah, he, he worked trusted. closely with them. He did not them. need to have a child with her. I'm sure yeah. he appreciated it. But. So anyway, yeah. So that's that's all that's all very interesting. So let's do a quick. Um, let me do a couple mid-roll shout-outs here real quick, and then we'll get back to uh, this, the second half of this discussion and the second half of our episode in general. Mm-hmm. I want to say hey to Vorsaki, wielder of a Valyrian steel arak with a dragon bone hilt, and Koalkoi, called Sunpiercer, wielder of a dragon bone bow. Also, um, also I, I, shout-outs for... Whose turn is it this time? I believe it's time for the Sellsword Captains. Mm-hmm. Peter Blaze of the Emerald Isle, captain of the Weirwood Wanderers. Two long lives, quick deaths, cold beer, and warm women. Dagron, Marshal of the Axe, is captain of the Red Tide. Resistance is futile. Chiron Cowlsbane is captain of the Stone Shields. The torrent breaks upon the stone. Hema Helminth is captain of the Whispering Children. Dead men tell no secrets. Shepard is the Shepherd of Essos. All men are sheep before the Shepard. He is heir to the Whispering Children, the son of Hema. Lady Lajara Dajo is the Iron Lily, Master Archer, Castellan of the Summer Island Keep, Arboreal Point, Captain of the All-Female Wailing Widows, Women and Children First. Cody the Crimson is Bastard of Bracken, Captain of the Red Waste Exiles and Recruiter of the Free Folk. Cameron the Hammer of Hornwood, Captain of the English Lions with the motto, Honor is the Reward of Virtue. Lord Brandon Brewer of Castle Blackrune is Captain of the Shadow Wolves, Our Steel is Cold, Our Vengeance Colder. And Black Alex Sand, the Bastard of Spears, leader of the Bermuda Vanguard. You can get a cool nickname like that with shout-outs by going to patreon.com slash historyofwesteros. Become a member Westorian. You get things like early episodes, bonus episodes. We've got some episodes that are only available to patrons, a couple of chapter reviews, and some panels from uh, different conventions. And we'll be keeping up with adding some new features. We were always, we're always modifying our Patreon and, and adding benefits and changing stuff. We're always trying to make, tweak and, and improve whenever we can. All right, well, that's all I have for the mid-roll. We can get back to it pretty quickly here. Glad to see we got a nice turnout here. Nice number of people uh, joining us today. Thanks for that, folks. We're, like I said, this is a weekly thing, so catch us at 6 every Tuesday and for the game streams every other Friday also at 6 so I like to keep that as consistent as possible we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night ember hot and icy cold the rage of the earth we made this curse carved it in the blood on our backs we did not see we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So, leading on from our childbirth and age issue comes the issue of the first night issue. Uh, so, I won't talk about it as much in how it was discussed in the book, because I'll, once again, we're trying to avoid spoilers as much as possible, because not everyone's finished that. 
but we're about the, at the hour mark, though. <laughs> true, we're gonna. Yeah, that's true. So we'll we'll start to drift into some specific spoilers. But the issue that it's raised in Fire and Blood isn't as important, I think, as what it says about A Song of Ice and Fire. So it's kind of a good transitionary topic because we don't have to get too specific to get into the details in A Song of Ice and Fire, which is the nitty gritty is really there. Now, first of all, the concept of first night. Like I said, Braveheart kind of threw us for a loop there by introducing it as if it was historical fact. It is historical fact, but it wasn't historical fact in England at that time. It may not have really been part of England much at all. It is historical fact in other places. Uh, Maybe not very much in medieval Europe, but in other cultures. And the idea of it is, just in case you're not familiar, it's, it's discussed in A Dance with Dragons quite a bit and in some other places, but in particular in A Dance with Dragons, and particularly with Rus. Particularly Roos telling Theon about it and how it's still practiced. So if you take that, if you take the concept of what it is, which is a, a lord has the right to sleep with a bride on her wedding night rather than her husband, which is obviously that's so awful. Uh, one of the things that's presented in Fire and Blood that relates to our topic of historical revisionism is that they're told the histories say now the histories don't really say this because there are no histories from the ancient north it's it's more like the stories that are passed down are that people would see it as a blessing to be if the warlord or the king of the north or any high lord gifted this woman with their seed they're told they're we're supposed to be we're told this was a good thing I mean, you can see why they would think it would be a good thing in plenty of, depending on who the Lord was. If it's a Lord who's going to then, you know, give the, the, the that family a bunch of gifts and, like, support them and yeah. do all of that, then, yeah, it was a blessing for those people in that situation. But I'm sure tons of Lords did nothing like Roos did with Ramsay and just left them with the bastard and raped them. You're exactly so, right. I think... And it's rape nonetheless, So because I, yeah. I doubt that the women were into it regardless. But at the very least, in some cases, they could be like, if, you, if this happens to us, we're taken care of for this yeah. child's life. It's it's a weird exception, right? Like, it, it, there are, it's, it's like one of those, like, you hate to go through it, but it's undoubtedly going to, in a, in a situation where you're living dirt poor in the snow, that getting some gifts for that for that yeah, it might, could be, might be the difference between life and death. Yeah. But it goes beyond that. So, so part of that is the historical revisionism of, like, it's presented as a good thing when it was probably only a good thing part of the time. And... The closer to modern times we get, the less often it's going to be considered a good thing. It's almost always it's almost always a bad thing, like in modern A Song of Ice and Fire, yeah. when they're not really giving these gifts, or they're not they're not, you know, bringing r- raising these bastards on high yeah. and saying this is my son. But in other cases, you could also say that they might it might have been a, a, a benefit or a boost if if there was if we're looking at skin changer genes or anything like that. Yes, that they could be passing on some skills in that respect, which brings us to like the Targaryens thinking With the dragon seed thing. Dragon seeds are a blessing, be, and in that case, it's closer because they really do. It might have you know more immunity to disease, ability to ride a dragon, potentially good looks. Like there are some you know benefits to being of that genetic line in some ways yeah so it's a it's a it's an ethical conundrum but it also creates a lot of interesting storyline uh points of interest okay so we take what we know about the dragon seeds we know that at some point during the dance they started trying to find new dragon riders this is something we knew before fire and blood obviously and it worked for some and not for others that's a whole other topic on why it worked for some and why it didn't work for others but now flip that around and think about the North and like what you say with like the skin changer genes, mm-hmm. for example, or the possibility that the others, we've heard that the others may have mated with humans in the distant past and made half human children. They were the ones that did the first first night. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying, right? Maybe 
the first night, because we're told in Fire and Blood that the first night is strongest in the north, has always been strongest in the north. It's a first man thing that some of the Andal lords adopted because they're like, oh, hey, I can bang whoever I want. And this is law. Wow, I can get away with that. Uh, so it's these... Uh, so these these characters are have this opportunity to speak about it in a different way. Um, if the genetics are being passed down, and if this magical blood is being passed into different like dynasties, that has a whole that says a lot about what's going on in terms of like core elements of the series and the core story. Like think about Craster and his sons giving them to the others, all the males, like. That seems to me at least familiar to this concept. If you have if you have a lord that goes sleep goes around and sleeps with all the women who get married on the first night in his domain and he himself has some sort of magical blood, some of the sons that pop out, he might claim them because they have his genetics like Roos claimed Ramsay because of his eyes. He's like, "Well, he did have my eyes." And how Varamir tried to impregnate women from a bunch of different villages. He would send his shadow cat and demand that a woman from this village sleep with him. That's not first night, but it's pretty much the same thing. Just demanding a woman to sleep with him because he's going to kill them otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, forcible rape. So, but Vermeer had no kids with him, but he wanted to. Vermeer was thinking none of those women provided, had, gave me any child that had the gift. So that concept is floated around a lot, and I can't exactly tie it all together, but you can see there's a lot of overlap there. So I think this is a fertile ground for theorizing. Uh, some of this theorizing has been done already, but I think we got more of it to build on. Fire and Blood gave us a, some new perspectives on it and pointed out that it's a more interesting, a more relevant concept than we may have first realized. <laughs> so I think that's... Uh, pretty important I, it didn't seem as important before but the more I think about it the more I think there's some theorizing needing to be done here hmm. okay so we got a couple more super chats here yeah two okay Thomas Pappas Zeus's haircut hubba hubba <laughs> <laughs> well thanks Tommy That's appreciate sweet. it ah. there you go ah, ah, yes nice. thank you mm. and then from a black eyed lily happy holidays well thank you Susan we appreciate it happy holidays to you as well happy holidays to everybody all, my, all of our Fellow Westorians, mm-hmm. we are very thankful for you all and so happy to been very thankful for this new material to discuss with you. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on. Let's go into some a little bit more specific topics. Yeah, I see Lawrence. Uh, Lauren here had a nice, an interesting comment. She says, I was born in a rural mountain in central Italy. The Lus Prime Noctis, right of the first night, was definitely practiced, and not just during the Middle Ages, till early 1900s. Holy crap, really? Yeah. Wow. Wild. Whoa, uh-huh. that is kind of shocking, but uh-huh. there you go. That's uh, that's, uh-huh. uh, that's, that's straight from uh, straight from the source here. Yeah, someone else has talked about it happening in Ireland. Uh, everyone else talks about in west of Ireland that um, people would observe that, and that wow. some descendants were still referred to as Bingham's bastards. <laughs> so, and, yeah. The concept comes up in like Greek myth a lot, other myths too. But Greeks oh, yeah. the one that most familiar oh, yeah, with like Zeus gods, and yeah. gods yeah. Is going down there and just like, like disguising themselves as animals and just and, and raping women anyway even when they're not they're like I'm a I'm a I'm, I'm gonna disguise myself as an animal then chase this woman around and then become a person 
which maybe they're at least happy there. I'm not going to kill them as an animal, but I'm still going to rape them. So, like, what? Jesus Christ. Yes, she has an animal. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, well, at least I'm not being raped by an animal. It's like, is that, are they supposed to feel happy about There's that? There's a really good bit that Sean and Aziz and I love from the show Man Seeking Woman that's about about, about Zeus and, and Cupid. And Cupid's like, they're he's having like an intervention. And Cupid goes, what about that time that you turn into a bull and you rape that lady? And then you <laughs> rape like, that other lady. Did it a bunch, too. <laughs> yup, yup, yup. He's like, it's not about that. It could be. <laughs> just, yeah, a lot of that. Man Seeking uh, Woman is a fantastic show. Everybody. Yeah. Uh, I'm just glad we don't have any fusion of that in like the skin changing first night. Like we don't have that to deal with. We've got yeah. incest, but not so much bestiality. Yeah, I mean we have the um, we already have the like, dragon babies popping out, right? But we don't have like half wolf babies popping out. We didn't go that far. <laughs> uh, SK Giano says, Well, doesn't the Holy Spirit rape Mary? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, kind of. It's another thing like that. She's blessed. She never consented. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so let's talk about some other kind of maybe maybe not themes, but uh, concepts that pop up throughout the Fire and Blood in several places that are relevant to A Song of Ice and Fire. One of that comes up, and some of these are relevant to... It's interesting to look at both sides in terms of the ice and the fire. For example, we just talked about the first night thing. The first night is presented on both sides as like a the way the dragon seeds are, but also from the north and, and in terms of the ancient north. So it's, yeah. it's, there's a, it's, it's different, but it's the same, you know. Uh, and so we have the, the same kind of thing here with what happens when you lose your dragon. It's pretty yeah. traumatic. Yeah. And the same thing is true for, like, losing your dire wolf. Or... We, don't, we don't see anyone who loses their dragon and manages to hatch another dragon. We do not. We, we mm-hmm. see Rhaenyra intend to. She in, wants to. She's like, I need to go get another dragon after Cyrax dies. Yeah. But she doesn't. Well, yeah, get she to. doesn't. But more than a few people want to. And, I mean, some never got one and they managed to hatch, like, obviously, uh, you know, Reyna manages to hatch one, Bela's twin or whatever. Yeah, eventually. like much later. Much yeah. later. Much later, you know, yeah. Too late to be... And uh, in fact, that... In fact, I have a, we have a some more dot connecting might, might be uh, here. <laughs> we might be able to do that with Reyna. Not, uh, not the first Reyna, but this Reyna, who, sister of Bela, this, the daughter of, mm-hmm. of uh, Damon. Yeah. And uh, Ama Aaron. And uh, she... Well... Uh, her her dragon was mourning, yeah. and mourning was green, and mourning yeah. was always coiled around her. And I think that's probably the last dragon, mm-hmm. because we know that Sir Arlen of Pennytree, yeah, eggs ma- eggs yeah. dunks. Uh, well, the last master. dragon that we see, because we do think that there are some, you know, like sheep stealer, for example, that. Um, well, that dragon dies in one dies in one fifty three. Fifty three. Yeah, morning. Yeah. The last dragon and is green, which is yeah. morning is green. Yeah. And, and Star Island sees like she's stunted, and it's a she. And well, I just mean that we like know that like nettles and sheep stealer just take the hell off. Oh, That's yeah. what I'm saying is that you're the, right. We technically can't say when sheep stealer actually passed. You're right. We do not know um, when sheep stealer or the cannibal or Silverwing died. Yeah, there's a few there, yeah. but you know, um, that's you know, I, you're probably close to right, but I just I, I like to think that nettles and sheep stealer. <laughs> yeah, they last still, official. They're still out there today. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, you never, you, ever, you wonder where <laughs> their bone, if their bones are ever found. Yeah, or, no, yeah, it's true. Because of dragon bones, you think they'd find it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, so we wonder about how that's going to come into play with you know, direwolves lo- being lost. We saw, like, uh, what happened with um, some of the animals being being killed with, um, you know, Varamir mm-hmm. and 
Orel, I suppose. Well, Orel, mm-hmm. really, he died and went into his eagle. Yeah. And then Varamir screamed when Orel was, Orel and the eagle was burned mm-hmm. by Melisandre. Hmm. Uh, a small thing that we learned about was uh, eggs in cradles. We, I had theorized that the, that the tradition of putting an egg in a cradle was something that started during the Targaryen regime and not before. And that was, hey, that mm-hmm. was, that was confirmed. Uh, we got, it was the first Reina that started that tradition. Yeah, the best Reina. The first (laughs) best Reina. And it's mentioned in the book. It says most of the eggs put in cradles hatched, although that eventually stopped. That became not true after the dance. (laughs) (laughs) But that's pretty neat. Uh, We didn't, that that explains why Magor and Aenys didn't have eggs in their cradles and why they picked dragons that were already hatched. Mm -hmm. Uh, And same with Jaehaerys and Alysanne and a few others. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, interesting. Um, we brought up earlier, we brought up the, the, this, the Targaryen exceptionalism, the doctrine of exceptionalism for the Targaryens. Yeah, we got a question here, too, from Stannis Baratheon again. Um, not a super chat, but just as relevant to this, where he asked, what are your thoughts on the pattern of religious rebellion throughout the Targaryen reign? It's mm. relevant in terms of uh, the way they managed it. Yeah. And that exceptionalism was a, a, a very effective, I think, in keeping things tamp- tampered down for yeah, you a needed, while. You needed some kind of compromise because what you had with Magor and the Faith was two sides that were never, never, never going to back down. <laughs> 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 they were like, kill as many of us as you want. We are not giving up our beliefs. <laughs> and Magor's like, I'm going to kill as many of you as I can. Yeah. I'm not stopping my, <laughs> my multiple wife-having ways, uh, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Um, so... Yeah, I think that it was a kind of, it's kind of like, on one hand, you don't want to have this concept in, in real life. You don't want, like, a race to be superior to others. It's kind of gross to think about in that life. But Targaryen, we don't have this in the real world. I mean, we have people claiming this in the real world, but we don't actually have, yeah. we don't, you know, in my view, in your view, <laughs> no race is superior to another. No. But in the real world, no race has disease resistance and bonding with dragons. Yeah. Like, I might consider them different <laughs> if that really existed. Yeah. Uh, they had weird dragon children sometimes. Yeah, so, so. Yeah, I probably would think of them as pretty different. So, you know, so I believe the Targaryens have magical blood. I believe that a lot of Northerners have magical blood because of the skin changing and the green seer gene can manifest. But the, the reason this might be more relevant for Song of Ice and Fire is, is that, well, one thing, religion's coming back. We got the faith, you know, coming back. So it's relevant to Megor because Cersei's kind of, you know, she, she has a little bit of Megor in her, but she's the one who brought the faith back. So in that, she's the opposite of him. <laughs> but she's going to have to deal with what she's, uh, with this can of worms she's opened. And uh, so it might be relevant for the Lannisters. Cersei mm-hmm. and Jaime both have been kind of like, well, why can't we do it? Why can't mm-hmm. we be like if this? If you a dragon, you could do it. And I forget yeah. what the exact line is. I wish we'd grab that one. But there's yeah. a line where they say, <laughs> when, you, when you ride a dragon, you can marry your sister. It was, uh, yeah, it was some hedge, some hedge knight that said, can I bang my sister? And he's like, yeah. well, if you can go yeah, tame a dragon, yeah, if you can do then that, yes. Go ahead. I'll marry you myself is what he yeah. said. Well, I'll marry you to your sister if you can go tame a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so it's it's neat, and I think it was necessary because you did kind of have to, George did have to explain how they got from we're going to kill you for these beliefs yeah. to, okay, we accept this. Somehow that had to be explained, and it, and it was. I think it was. I think George did a good job on that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, a couple other small tidbits. Um, we had another uh, Corbray second son with Lady Forlorn, just kind of mm-hmm. like Lynn Corbray, and a little, just a small note there. Mm-hmm. We have uh, once... Something that I didn't catch before, it maybe came up 
in the world of Ice and Fire? I don't think so. Mm. But once Meraxes was killed in Dorne, there was a lot more, oh, hey, watch out. This is dangerous. There was a lot more caution about sending dragons into into battle after that. There, yeah. it was cited several times as, "Hey, well, what look what happened with Rhaenys and Meraxes? Watch out!" Yeah. Like Rhaenyra never went into battle. Yeah, <laughs> for example, for all the good it did her. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it would have helped, even if she did. But yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah for, so that's that's uh, you know a thing. Um, mm. We have a mention of. Um, Dragon Lord versus Dragon Lord. When when the dance before the dance breaks out uh, as a reference to old Valyria, and mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of cool. Is the notion that dragons fighting dragons? Um, we also have a, a, a mention of people in fighting pits, underground fighting pits with filed teeth, which is a reference to uh, an analog for Biter, Rorge and Biter. That's what Rorge did. Rorge uh, adopted Biter and raised him to be an animal, basically. It was also like, um, what are those things? Those um, selkie type merman, murder lady type things. There was that a mention of their that, teeth. Yeah. yeah you know um, what I'm talking about? I can't remember what they're called now. I can't Anyways, either. it's not super important. Um, but they were the, you know, kind of Lovecraftian things from, from the sea. It wasn't the selkies, was it? The selkies were the walrus men. No, man. it wasn't them. Maybe someone will know. I can't okay. recall right now. But they definitely like had these like filed teeth. Nasty. <laughs> in real life history as well some mermaid, mermaids have filed teeth like that oh okay nice uh, um, kind of like shark teeth I guess some ominous foreshadowing for White Harbor uh, along- Rob says it says people of the Thousand Islands yeah the people of the Thousand Islands have the that's filed it. teeth yeah. that's right right that's yeah that's uh, and we know that the, the sea snake went to see them <laughs> that was from uh, yeah the, it's the it's the the Thousand Islands, which is George's uh, own reference to his own Thousand Worlds uh, sci-fi setting. Mm. He did a little creepy, uh, creepy. little meta. Speaking of meta, um, there is a character mentioned named Stormbreaker, and then there's a sellsword company mentioned called the Stormbreakers. Mm. Now, Stormbreaker uh, is a nod to a, a person named Benjamin Swierjek, Swierjek, who was part of the fire... Uh, the um, blood and fire and blood mush. Wait, blood. What is it called? Blood of dragons mush, run by yeah. Elio Garcia and Linda Antonson, who of course co-wrote the World of Ice and Fire and are the owners of Westeros.org. Well, this this man uh, Benjamin uh, Swiercheck, he unfortunately died a couple years ago, and so this was Stormbreaker was his character uh, in that mush, and so this was a nod to him. So I'm pretty sure Stormbreakers is also is a further nod mm. to him. Because uh, George was clearly aware of this person and nice. uh, gave a nod to him. Yeah. We got a super chat from Lajara Dane. Do you think the Jaharis propaganda of Targaryen exceptionalism should lead us to cast doubt on the greatness of Jaharis and Alysanne's reign? Well, I think you have to have some propaganda. I do. I don't think propaganda for a reign is bad. I think that that is, in fact, often a good thing. Yeah, a little bit. To get out bit. ahead of it. A little um, bit, yeah. In this case, too. You have to, you have, I mean, you have to send people out. I think that, like, it makes good, you know, logical sense that the strategy they had of actually sending people out to put out this propaganda and proselytize for them was for the good of their, of their reign and the realm. Um, and I do think that their reign was overall good in as much as they can be. I don't know about you. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Other propaganda is obviously very bad. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be good or bad, I think. It's true. And in this case, I think it was good because it was 
it's all about what it's used for. If you use propaganda to benefit just just personal benefit, that's obviously wrong. I, yeah. I think. I mean, it all, was for their personal history. benefit, but like, well, no, it wasn't you know, only. For yeah, it wasn't only benefit, for right because it. it was the realm was just being shredded by this 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 uh, this rub of belief. You know, like the the seven wouldn't accept this, and the Targaryens can't change, and. I don't know. I, I think it does. Ca- I mean, all the Targaryens have this this shadow over them. With she this. clarifies as well with what she what they mean is Gel- is Gildane part of that propaganda? Was all of what yeah. we heard greater overblown? And I mean, mm. I think that it was probably was logged down that they did those things, and that it seems like I, I I would guess that Gildane is a fan of them, and he paints them in that good light. He really doesn't show them very negatively. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to look at Jaharis and Alisand and say they were bad, and, and and she's not saying that. She's just saying, is no. that a ne- slight negative? Or to is, an or otherwise is Gildane, great... or is Gildane biased or is Gildane in helping biased, to yeah. spread that? That's a good point. I mean, Gildane was not a contemporary of theirs, so no. he's he's all he's only working with sources that were before him. Um, yeah. So. But I, I can see why. I mean, it seems like he w- would be biased and like them. I mean, just think about their characters and the the respect they had for like academia and and the Septon Barth and all of that. And Alisanne, like he even writes like Alisanne could have been a maester herself. Yeah, you know all that. So it it seems like he had a healthy respect for them, honestly. Um, one question, just a quick sidebar. One question that people have is about the. Incident with Erea Targaryen, which of course we want to talk about, but next week, the focus of next week's live stream will be Higher Mysteries. We've been, I, I took a vote on Patreon, uh, open to everyone on Patreon, as to what topic you wanted us to do next, and that was the top uh, choice. So I'm not gonna, so we'll save that for next week, but needless to say, if you haven't read the Area Targaryen incident, it's early in Jaehaerys and Alysanne's reign, so... If, if you are early in the book, you're probably close to it. So read it. Oh, man, it's amazing. And you want to be prepared for next week. You got a whole week to get ready for that. So, yes, we will be dealing with that. Another couple of random tidbits. We have uh, Rigo Draz, who is probably going to be featured in a Parallel Lives epi- uh, trivia piece later in a future episode. How did you say that name? Rigo Draz. Hmm. How would you say it? I, I don't know. I guess not like that. That's how the Simon Vance is saying oh. it. So I'm just kind of going with that. Maybe it's Rego, but yeah, it could yeah. be Rego because it's, it's kind of a, it's supposed to be sort of Italianish, I think. Yeah, anyways, I just was surprised. I took me a second to parse the name you said. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like a, a very strong analog for Illyria. There's a lot of parallels to Illyria with him, especially being from Pentos <laughs> and, and being a master of coin, which is what Illyria claims he wants to be under young Griff, et cetera, et cetera. But that's, that's a whole other topic. He is the first person in Westeros under the Targaryens, which mean under the Iron Throne, to be a lord without lands. You know, later people with that uh, same distinction are Lady Misery, Varys, mm-hmm. uh, basically anyone with a lord without lands or armies. And in this case, it was him. So he's the master coin. He was, a you know, from Pentos. So that's cool. We saw the origin of that. And we also saw how they used Eastern titles at first. You had... Lord Admiral slash Master of Ships mm-hmm. and Lord Treasurer slash Master of Coin. Now yeah. it's just Master of Coin, Master of Ships, but yeah. they use those Eastern titles. So that's kind of neat. A little, great little detail by George showing that Eastern influence that slowly fell off as it became, mm-hmm. they kind of came into their own as this united single kingdom. Mm-hmm. 
Reconax here says, I will Targaryen fanboy Gildane present Robert and his little rebellion, which technically was John Aaron's rebellion. I, it's a funny idea. That is funny. Yeah, it kind of was. I don't Aaron's know how much rebellion. of a fanboy he can be at the point that he, he's writing about Ares. Yeah. I don't know how much he can be like, it was wrong for them to depose this terrible, terrible, terrible man. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he was right to murder all those people without, yeah, you so know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm curious how he handles it. I feel like he'll be pretty even keeled, I suppose, with yeah. it. He might have been like, if only Rhaegar could have succeeded to the throne instead or something. <laughs> but, uh, that's interesting. That is interesting. Um, we have another... I wonder ma- if Gildane's an anti-magic maester or an ambivalent towards magic huh. maester or what? It's a good Pro-magic. question. It doesn't seem too anti because he yeah. seems to be... F- he quotes Barth, Barth frequently and Barth talks about, you know, quite a bit of magical stuff. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't censor that. Probably ambivalent. So we just get another one? Yeah, we did. I put it right Okay, there. so we have uh, Stannis Baratheon with another super chat. Opinions on Nettles and the Burn Men confirmed. Yeah, I think that's a slam dunk. At this point, we are told the, in the World of Ice and Fire that there is a mysterious fire witch with a dragon in the in yeah. the veil, and it seemed to be likely that was Sheep Stealer, mm-hmm. but in, the, in Fire and Blood, it flat out says yeah. that it's her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, I... It's hard to imagine who else it could have been, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we... If it was somebody, it was a total unknown. We didn't have any other candidates. So that's that's pretty locked down now. Um, I Obviously, she couldn't almost... She almost certainly couldn't be alive. But the dragon probably isn't alive either. But yeah, there's a tiny chance. It seems pretty unlikely, <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> we get um, some scenes with the Sea Lord of Bravos and different tidbits... F- through the Bravosi at different points throughout Fire and Blood. And one thing that's made clearer is that the Sea Lord just name drops the Faceless Men as a threat, which is really quite interesting. We knew that the Faceless Men and the Iron Bank probably had a relationship and them being such powerful, longstanding institutions. Obviously, they have some connection to the ruler of the city. They can't just not have contact with each other at all. But just flat out having him name drop them as a threat was (laughs) more than what we were used to. So... The, basically, the long and short of that is that there seems to be a tighter connection showcased here, which might be setting us up for seeing those organizations operating more in concert in the Winds of Winter and possibly going forward. Uh, as we know, Stannis got paid by the Iron Bank, and the Iron Bank doesn't half-ass it. So if they're helping mm-hmm. him, they also want to help bring down the regime that he's fighting against because yeah. they want to get paid. And yes. so uh, that we might see some more movement in that area. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. What else do we have here? Um, Is it miscellaneous? I'm going to make sure I didn't miss anything up Maybe here. Migration? Oh, yeah. We talked about some migration. Yeah. Um, there's multiple examples of migration from one realm to another or one region to another. Uh, a really big one is Stormlanders who were brought out of the Stormlands when during the dance when uh, as part of, I believe it was Boros Baratheon's army. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they fought in the Stormlands or fought in the Riverlands and in the Crownlands, a lot of them were like, hey, it's better here. <laughs> so when they went back home, a lot of them didn't come. They're like, nah, we're going to live here. We're going to live in the Crownlands and King's Landing. Yeah, not so much the Riverlands. I misspoke there. It was mostly the Crownlands and King's Landing. And remember, King's Landing was fairly new. It hadn't been around, it had only been around 130 years. 
by the time the dance came. So there wasn't uh, as much knowledge of what it was like. And it grew so fast and so big and provided lots of opportunities. And then later we have the Northerners staying in the South. You know, they come down with Cregan expecting to fight in this big war. And then the war is kind of over. So they can't fight in it. But they don't really want to go back north either because it's winter. And they left kind of thinking we're not coming home. You know how it goes with the Northerners. They, when they think that there's not enough food, they go out to die. But they didn't just have to walk out Me in the too. snow to die in this case. <laughs> I'm glad you haven't done that yet. It doesn't, that's why we live in Atlanta. So Shea doesn't walk out and just to decide snow. to go freeze One day, to death. Yeah. Just, I'm done with life. She might just go out there and melt. She's more likely to be like, it's not cold enough out here. <laughs> I'm just standing out here. I'm getting mosquito bites. <laughs> Okay, so let's do let's do our next parallel live example. Uh, oh, so I guess I didn't say what they did. The Northerners stayed there and they married Riverlanders. And the Riverlands, as always, being in the center, whenever there's this big war mm-hmm. that engulfs the whole continent, which thankfully doesn't happen that often, but when it does, the Riverlands gets really screwed because they're right in the middle, and uh, that means a lot of people are dead, especially the men. And so a lot of Northerners stayed in the Riverlands and took Riverlander wives, which provides some interesting background context to this fledgling failed northern riverlands kingdom that rob tried to yeah. forge yeah so, there was a lot of, of history among there so it gave um, them more shows of a, how the close connection that they had yeah so i appreciate that that was that gave them a little more reason to they had plenty of reason it didn't it, this wasn't necessary but it was good it was a good addition to the backstory okay let's talk about some other new stuff let's do our next parallel lives example mm, i'm gonna good. need well he actually shay why don't you pull up one of those uh art pieces for a okay. second while i go look up this other one because i i picked well, the i want to take a second to share this image of Alyssa farman with this Ravosi looking very creepy next to her but she's just really really just pleased that she scammed the hell out of some people and got a ship won't give we are in our spoilery section but i won't give too much information but she's a great con artist and it was all worth it i think um because she got a glorious ship and some cool piratey gear so that this is me killing some time with this image while aziz looks this up yes indeed Anyways, I did really like her character, even though, like I said, she definitely did some some shady things. But you got to do what you got to do. It's a man's world, and and she she found a way to get her ship. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. so here we go. Yes. Here All right. We so go. this Here's was another parallel live. This is um, also related to the reign of uh, one of the early kings, as well as someone very familiar. Um, okay, so the clues are a queen. Controversial marriage from the West, not far from rain, as in house rain, drugged unbeknownst to her to prevent pregnancy and told that it is a fertility potion. So a lot of you have probably already realized that the current character is Rob's wife, Jane Westerling. But who is the historical figure that matches that description exactly? This was my most recent tweet of these types. So some of you know the answer already, but most of you don't. So think about that for a minute. And we'll be back with the answer after another brief discussion. For a quick word from our sponsor. I'm joking. I'm joking. We don't have a sponsor. (laughs) No, we do have sponsors. We have many individual sponsors. We call them patrons. Members of our community. That's right. That's right. We love you all. Okay, so Mm. let's talk about something else while you guys think about that question. How about... 
Mm. Uh, the possibility. How about we talk about this this letter mystery? I know a lot of people wanted to talk about the mystery of the letter. Now, again, this is a good example of something that we already knew. We already got all the details on, but people are more apt to discuss it right now because it was presented to us in a more readable, uh, digestible format. I'm just going to put this powerful image of Maria Martell on the screen. A.K.A. the Yellow Toad of Dorne. What a nickname. Yeah, what a great piece of art, too. <laughs> They've really done, done a great job in The World of Ice and Fire and in this book and in um, The Histories and Lore, actually, of really representing this woman. Is uh, Honestly, the, a thing that I find in a lot of the artwork for these books um, it's just that they're all really attractive, a little same-facey in the world of Ice and Fire in particular. It's true. Um, and, you know, whatever. But I, I do feel like this has a, this this that piece had a lot more personality to it. Not everyone's some a, a gorgeous, perfect-looking young woman. So <laughs> yeah. I, I like saying her Maria there. Um, I like but this letter. I like this detail that her name is Maria, which is, it's if you put NY in front of it, it's Nymeria. Yeah. It's just like another... Yeah, another little tidbit, little subtle uh, naming convention detail. Of course, we had detail. Mariah, too. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mariah. Yeah, speaking of names, that's something yeah. I thought was funny. Like, besides the bean thing, there was this, like, several names. I hated names that, that name, Corianne, though. Corianne. We got Corianne Wan, but then we also got Corianne Martel. And something about it drives me crazy. Not, not an attractive name to me. He just threw in some new names. Didn't he? Like, he, yeah. he added the name Victor, which had never yeah, been Victor, used before. There was and... uh, some other, like, very, like, just Samantha. Yeah, Samantha. yeah, just more like normal names. It was a little. Yeah. It wasn't bad. It was just a little odd. I, I definitely noticed the pattern. His George is naming people differently. <laughs> and then as for the threat, Koi Frakas Falad asking, why is she not wearing a crown? Dornish need no crown. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, as for this letter, I think we want to talk about what we think the letter is. I've long felt, and I think a lot, it's pretty well. Well, let's uh, let's let's explain okay. it real quick, just okay. in case for a few people who don't know. Okay, so okay. what happens is Rhaenys is shot down over the hellhole during this second war with Dorne, and Meraxes a bolt through the eye of Meraxes, and then Aegon receives a letter, uh, a letter that makes him that makes him so upset that he clutches he cuts himself on the Iron Throne, um, and maybe that doesn't sound so weird because a lot of people cut themselves on the Iron Throne, but it's the only example we hear of Aegon doing it. He wasn't uh, mm -hmm. he, he was a little more careful. Um, so that's really interesting. So he, what he, what he does is then he leaves, he gets on Balerion, rides, flies off to Dragonstone, comes back and says, okay, the war's over. Yeah. And was, uh, you know, something I don't remember is it was Visenya on Dragonstone right then or was she, um, in King's Landing? Probably in King's Landing because okay. she was the I'm one in charge of running the day-to-day -day yeah. stuff. Uh, he, he, he divested yeah. most of the day-to-day -day responsibilities to her. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, Just trying to clarify that. So, especially around this time when, because Rhaenys and Aegon were busy attacking Dorne and Visenya mm -hmm. was, you know, doing her thing. Then after Rhaenys was killed, then Visenya and Aegon went nuts uh, over Dorne before they got the letter. So mm -hmm. I, 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 needed, I should have said that first. Um, and then they were stopped. There is a little bit of continuity. Uh, I, would, I don't know if it's an error. It might be an error where we have one, the World of Ice and Fire saying that Sunspear was never burned and we have Fire and Blood saying it was. And that's two different sources, so I think it's in maybe in one of those quote-unquote intentional uh, mm -hmm. mistakes. But I believe so I believe the first is true, because we see no evidence of Sunspear being burned from the Dornish POVs who were there, like, uh, well, and Sir Ares, who's not Dornish, but he's in Dorne. So there's no evidence of, of, of like, Dragonfire ever having, you know, it would, it would still be present, probably. Anyway, uh, that's a very small thing. Okay, so the letter. So what is in the letter is the question. What made Aegon say, okay, this is a reason for me to yeah. stop the war? Yeah, I think the most likely answer, the most popular answer is that 
Rainey's was still alive. They had her captured. They've been torturing her. They had her say a little thing in there that says, please put me out of my misery or whatever. But there's a lot of holes in that issue in that as well. It was like, why did Aegon then go to Dragonstone for a minute? What, just to like think by himself for a while? Yeah. Like, you know, would Rainey's have said that? And maybe they really were forcing her into saying it. Would he, why would he not have just fl- flown to, Do- to Dorne and decided to, to try to find her one because they said you could never find her? So there's, any hole you could find with it, you could find an explanation for it. But I do think that there's very few other things. The only other things is if they said something like, we're going to hire the faceless men and we're going to take out all your family, you know, whatever. They, they Maybe they have another threat. Faceless men, basically, or Rainy's alive. Those are my choices. I, I, I tend to agree. There's a, I'll, I'll throw a few other out. Um, one, there was a really good debate on our in our Facebook group, which, by the way, is, is a fun place to be. It's just Facebook.com's History of Westeros under the uh, groups um, search feature. And the idea was presented by Amin of a podcast of Ice and Fire that the, uh, that the threat was that eggs were stolen, that they stole eggs and, and said, hey, we'll either do something with these, either we'll have them, ha- we'll give them to someone who can hatch them or we'll, this will be that. I think the, it's an interesting idea because it would mean that Aegon went there to check, to say, hey, I want to verify if there's actually yeah. missing eggs. Now, oh, yeah, this is a good call from Wasser 30. That's what I say. Egg, I think Aegon flew to Dragon to check on the baby. There was a coin from the faces men on the crib that they like threatened children and like proved that they could do it. So he went to check. I, I but I don't know that it would have been there right, on Dragonstone right then, or if they would have been on King's Landing. But uh, it is an interesting idea. Yeah, re- Aenys would have been about two or three years old. Yeah, so I, whether if he was on Dragonstone, then yeah, he could have gone there to check on him and to see if this if they really could reach him there. And then I have to check the timeline. I think yeah. Magor may have just been born too. Mm. So yeah, maybe they are all on Dragonstone, and maybe because my thought of why I asked if Visenya was in King's Landing was if he had if he wanted to fly to Dragonstone to ask for her opinion on what he should do. Mm. Um, is why I had originally asked, but I, I also am not sure of if we know exactly where she is or where the two boys are. I would think they would both be at the Red Keep. If you Aegon would think, was unless Megor was just born and like well, she if, wanted but to if Visenya was and, in you know. King's Landing, then Megor would yeah. be there too. That's what I'm saying is that if if Visenya is, I don't know that we know if Visenya is in King's Landing at right. that moment. She may have all. gone back to Dragonstone That's to give all. birth. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah. So, so further investigation is warranted yes. on that on that detail anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that the problem with the stolen egg theory maybe is that it doesn't. Necessi- it isn't necessarily enough, enough reason enough. to stop him yeah, I don't from think continuing that's big the enough. war. He was just like, nah, I'm coming for you. I'm going to take those eggs back. But no, threatening to kill your only children or, or his know, wife something being like still that. Alive. Yeah. Or his wife being alive, yeah. Because the point was raised that he would do something if he could because that was his beloved. And he's also, you know, you know, a martial type. Uh, and they had already gone come down for revenge with, uh, you know, with Visenya burning all and, and him burning all the castles with the possible exception of Sunspear. So that's pretty big, um, and I, and this is an interesting mystery. I'm not sure it, it's relevant to a Song of Ice and Fire, except it, you know, if it has to do with egg hatching or faceless men, then it could have some at least indirect r- relation to at least how the faceless men operate. Um, the idea that a kingdom could pay to have a prince murdered, based on what we know about the faceless men, would be absurdly expensive, but. Doable, definitely doable. So not not out of the question, just hella expensive. <laughs> okay, so another um, one thing that was new in the conquest that was really cool, uh, only like a line or two, but it got me fired up because I'm already really excited about this possibility for the Winds of Winter. Is that 
There's a mention of uh, a battle between the Targaryen and Aaron fleets, which we had already heard about. But we didn't hear that the ba- in the world of ice and fire that the battle was so bloody that it brought yeah. hundreds of krakens to yeah. the surface. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I was doing the hand <laughs> ring like yes, krakens blood, which is maybe a little bit of foreshadowing or re- reference to the Forsaken chapter, or just mm-hmm. in general. There's been a lot of kraken mentions out there, you know, here and there. So we've got a uh, different couple different possibilities there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's resolve our uh, parallel lives uh, question. So uh, some of you may have noticed um, the parallels there. Uh, the answer is well, also Jane Westerling. Yay, mm-hmm. Jane Westerling and Jane Westerling. You know the first three you get there, and you, you've got Raina Targaryen too. Huh? <laughs> That's right, from the west. So I said not far from Rain because she's in the west, and the name is Jane J E Y N E. Little word play there for you, which you guys are used to. For me, I'm a word play kind of guy. <laughs> so yeah, Jane Westerling, who was one of the wives of Magor, um, she. She died in childbirth, if I remember correctly. So she, which is better than what some of the brides of Magor had to suffer through. Sadly, Eleanor Costain got out pretty well. Eleanor and Reyna were the ones who lived through it. Um, mm. Yeah, and it was Alice Haraway got the was the had the worst of it. Oh yeah, she had way the worst of it. <laughs> um, there's this really funny line. I just I don't know. This isn't relevant to anything particular. This is a really funny line where they're talking about um, one of the king's guard was going to cut the tongue out of, uh, I forget who it was, this one woman, and slipped and, and accidentally killed her. And, and it suggested that this maybe was just a story invented to further blacken Magor's name. I'm like, <laughs> how can you further, like, this is, like, how can you make Magor's name any worse? Like, <laughs> it's, like, invented by his enemies. Like, that guy's record stands on its own. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like, it would be like saying, it's like suggesting that, that Hitler also didn't like pour milk and then added the cereal, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> you can't really make him any worse. You know, some, someone said something here. Um, I just want to mention, um, Wasser 30 says, yes, but Jahara is not a cool name. And I don't know why it made me think of this, but like, okay, we see Danny's nickname is Danny. Yeah. I wonder what some of the other Targaryen nicknames were. You know, yeah, like, we got a few like Jay and Luke. Like, yeah, we got those, but like Jahari, did he ever go by Jay? Jay Harry. <laughs> like, I just, you know, we have like Alisanne. I imagine some, some people call her Allie or yeah, something. Yeah, Allie, we've seen that as for so, other So, like, yeah. for other people, it's just an interesting. No one would call her Allie because she's but, yeah, the queen. Yeah, Jahari but... call her Hera. No, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Jahara. Just Hera. <laughs> Harry. A, like, some of them just can't think of a good nickname. But, anyways, I'm going to have to think about that a little bit later and think of some good, they, funny nicknames. They could yeah, call Harry. Yeah, Harry for Jahari. He yeah. had his braid all the way down to his, yeah, Harry, to his waist yeah. so he could be hairy. <laughs> he did have very long hair. It's he did. true. <laughs> and then Ares, uh, Ares uh, the Mad King, also had insane hair <laughs> because he was afraid of barbers and all that and uh, razors. Yeah. So he'd be hairy. He'd be hairy also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what do you call uh, Raina? Yeah. Just Ray? How do you call Ray also? King May. May. Uh, <laughs> Just no, gore. 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 For sure. Gore yeah, he's, for sure it's he's gore. like, yeah, gore. He's like, yeah, that, that fits. He's like, yes. yeah, I'm gore. <laughs> <laughs> it's not May Gore, it's Will Gore. <laughs> yes. Definite Gore. <laughs> okay, we got about 15 minutes left. Before we wrap mm-hmm. it up, we'll keep these around two hours as our usual, mm-hmm. as is our, our want. Yeah. Let's go a little farther in our document here. Yeah. 
I think one thing people definitely have asked us about a lot is this Melanie Piper. Okay. Reign of I would Friends, like to talk about Melanie Piper. Who was a warrior woman type person, you know, war- armor and fought and all that. Red haired. Yeah. I, and I, was one of her favorites, one of her friends. But this is something I wanted to clarify. Like, I had some people ask me about this. Like, why would she keep them around after they were her favorite? Well, not all of her favorites had to be her lovers. You know, like, she could have had a thing for them and never to have really come to anything. And they could also have, like, m- multiple of them can be gay. And, like, maybe Melanie was with Sam Stokeworth. You know, like, it, it doesn't have to... Um, we don't know the full story there, but regardless, they, they all seem to stay in very good terms with each other after the fact, um, except for Alyssa when she left. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. But the bigger I, question with Melanie is whether there's a connection here with her and Melisandre, Melanie yeah. Lot 7. My eyes, my eyes shot up when I saw that name. It was like a redhead woman named Melanie. We have no other Melanies in the entire series except Melisandre. So that was huge, and I was thinking, like, I, I bet a lot of you, when you saw that name, were like... Is that really, is that her? Is that Melisandre? Because it could have been, but no, we find no, out that she died. We find out yeah, that she, she died, so it's very unlikely. Yeah, she's a red herring. A, a red herring. Yeah. That's genius. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> there, but yeah, it literally is a red herring. Red, red herring. herring. That's genius. Also, I just want, this is not relevant to anything, but someone did ask me, and they seemed very, whatever, um, like they really, ruckus of red, like really wanted to know how I get my hair lighter red. And I just mix a bunch of colors together. So <laughs> I use um, Ion Color Brilliance, and I mix like five or six colors. So that's all I can tell you. Get Ion Color Brilliance. Also, we have a, a, a big shiny light blasting yeah, at us. Yeah, making it look all <laughs> nice and light. But um, I never know what what color red I'll end up. It always with. looks good, though. But anyways, I just had to tell you, especially since your name was of Red Lake. <laughs> Got to get that red hair going. She's familiar with Silverwing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no. Um, I did, uh, I, but uh, yeah, otherwise, even beyond w- w- Melanie, whether it could be her or whether she died, it just doesn't seem like the type of character that Melisandre is, the warrior and, you know. Yeah. It just does, there's not a lot of comparisons other than the name. This is but it ex- does tell us that, you know, Melanie is a name in Westeros and in the Riverlands. Yep. So this I think a, that's more relevant. This is a good example of one of the things that was new in Sons of the Dragon, because this was in the Sons of the Dragon portion, but it was not in the Sons of the Dragon novella. All, same goes for a few extra descriptions of Dreamfire. We got a little more detail on what Dreamfire looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, we also got note that that Magor's second wife was a Valyrian ceremony, which I don't think we knew that. I don't. Visenya married them. Did the ceremony? Oh, I don't yeah. think we knew that. We um, didn't know really at all that Rhaenys and Visenya did all those marriages at all. Like they were really into marrying. Yes. By the way, anyone who plays CK two Crusader Kings two, which and or who watches as he's play it, I and a lot of other people who play it are very into the marriage aspect of it, and so I really could relate to Alisan, Rhaenys, and Visenya, like just. Doing marriages, getting involved in all these families. I'm like, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, and then <laughs> forge lifetime, you know, bonds. It's it's kind of like it's a thing that seems to have stopped. Like they, the Rainis and Visenya arranged a lot of marriages. Alisan arranged a lot of marriages, and Alisan was arranging marriages like lower level marriages too, not just high lords and ladies. She was arranging like for her the people with her like her, her yeah. ladies in waiting well yeah. those are mostly lords and uh, but still uh, not like the highest still. not the highest of the high not like all lord paramount you know level but yeah. le- lower level people and that and that to me is uh ties into the whole grand northern conspiracy and some of that some of those thoughts yeah. some, some people think the grand one of the elements of the grand northern conspiracy is 
the the number of cross regional marriages was unusual. It was like the Riverlands married into the North and into the Vale, whereas usually they would just marry inwardly, and the North married into this where the North had previously not married outside of the North hardly at all. So part of that I think is I think this is addressing that in part to show that it wasn't mm-hmm. completely new, but that but but yes, it was an unusual amount of of that that happened yeah. before Ares, uh, before Robert's Rebellion. Mm-hmm. So it kind of verifies that. By giving the context and showing that it was, that it happened in spurts under certain queens. Someone here, uh, well, Stanis Baratheon again actually asks if our opinion of Daemon Targaryen improved, which is a good question because I actually think my opinion of him did slightly improve because um, of what we got of him in Nettles. What was different? What did we get new? We just didn't get like, a lot of, of his emotional reaction to Rhaenyra doing that and deciding to do that and like the, mm-hmm. the relationship that him and Nettles had, which. I, I still am not, like, it seems like it was sexual, but it also seems like it was kind of, like, a protective thing. I don't know. I I felt like he got more depth added to him and that he was betrayed and felt like, well, what did he have left to do but go fight Aemond there because him and Nettles were, you know, screwed. They couldn't make a life together and that I think he actually cared about her. Yeah. That's what I got out of it. <clears throat> um, so I, I kind of did like him a little bit more. I'm still not a big fan of Damon though. Yeah, he's, uh, mm-hmm. he, he's, he's certainly... Um... An interesting character because he's one of those guys that if you're really judging him like from a moral perspective, he's terrible. But he's a really entertaining character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like definitely the kind of guy you want on your side. Mm-hmm. Like you do not want to be facing him, you know. So he's he's interesting, I think, for sure. And, and like we said earlier, he is... A very strong parallel for the Red Viper. We'll lay out the specifics. Speaking of parallels, someone I wanted to I wanted to pose a question to everyone. Um, do you guys who do you guys think, if anyone, Rogar Baratheon is a parallel to? Because Aziz and I've been thinking about it, and I'm not too sure. Um, there's some like some story beats of his that I, I don't know. Not everyone has to have a parallel, but I couldn't help but wonder. I mean, he marries later in life, has another set of children with Alyssa, and has a lot of other. Um, milestone moments. He was just a very major character and I really can't think of any characters that really remind me much of him. The closest is Tywin but even Tywin does, isn't a great ma- match. Like no. a, a high lord that had a lot of power. But Tywin never tried to mess with the marriages. Tywin never tried to like dominate Ares. He just tried to keep him from being terrible. So yeah, yeah I don't even, that doesn't even work that well. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and like you said, there doesn't have to be a parallel but usually there is as we found. Like if we go through the Targaryen family tree there's a parallel for Pretty much everyone. Yeah. Uh, so. With very few exceptions. So, but this might be a, a sort of an exception because this isn't, he's not a Targaryen, but Stannis still. chimes in with Rogar as the man Robert Baratheon could have been. Of course, Stannis <laughs> had to chime in here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's funny. Um, someone else was asking about um, Sarah Targaryen, you know, one of Alistair's daughters, and I do. We have talked about this a good bit before, but I never get tired of um, bringing up this comparison of, of Alistair's daughters, and because um, we have, you know, these 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 three daughters: Viserra, can, Sarah, yeah, and uh, Majel. The, the, they're like the three-headed. Sarah dragon of, of the Illyria Black Dragon Sarah. conspiracy. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay, so... Literally, Viserra has Sarah spelled like Illyrio Sarah. Right. And Sarah is just said like it. Sarah is said like it, and she's the... She, she ran goes, the brothel. Yeah, which is, in lease. In lease. And remember, Illyrio's Sarah was, he says, he's supposedly found mm-hmm. in a brothel. And then Magell died of grape, the Great Plague. Yes, exactly. Which is what killed 
Illyrio's Sarah. So the three, those three characters, their stories combined are a direct parallel to Illyrio's Sarah, who is possibly mm-hmm. the probably the mother of young Griff. Mm-hmm. who is, of course, a hidden Blackfire, uh, as is widely believed in the fandom and by both of us. Yeah. So. So that's just an interesting thing. But on the subject, though, of um, these, you know, we, we, they talk about um, Sarah and how wild she was. And obviously she ended up uh, just, <laughs> hey, you know, leaving and, and were, you know, ruling lease, basically, as we find out, you know, she did quite well. But um, I really liked a lot of the other tales of, like, girlhood rebellion that they had in there. <laughs> and we have obviously the very sad drunk driving, drunk drunk riding yes. incident, which, like, I, I did appreciate. Like, it's really sad, but, like, I want to know the fun things that people get up to. It's not all just, you know, day-to-day life. Sometimes, sometimes people go out and get drunk and ride through the streets. Like, it seems like that kind of thing could happen if you ride, race through yeah. the streets drunk on a <laughs> horse. Just like in a car, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna have a. So uh, there's yeah. a little thing we knew about before, but I I appreciated seeing more about the context of of, of her going out and yeah. like par- that she was out with a bunch of people, they were partying. But another Targaryen that we talked about already was Arya, you know, and she played a lot of pranks too. She did. And was just I I just like seeing that. She wasn't as bad that. as Sarah. Sarah's pranks no, were awful. I mean, her pranks were bad, but like Arya was at, was. Was maybe more extreme, uh, funnier. Sarah's like, the, the one. Are, no, Aria's the one who uh, who um, dyed all the cloaks pink. <laughs> you remember? <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, wait, no, Sarah does it. No, oh, Sarah it, it was, the pinks, uh, yes, Sarah Sarah's the, cloaks, the one okay. who did them all. Pink. She did the bees too. And the bees, yes. <laughs> uh, but we get, we just see some few different wilds. Like Bela's pretty wild too herself, yeah. actually. Sarah's the um, cruel prankster. She also... Alyssa was pretty wild in her day too, and talking about That's riding. True. Like I love to ride a dragon, and I can ride you. Alyssa's <gasps> yeah. story is kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was actually pretty disappointed that she was one of the ones who died in childbirth, just because she was like very strong. Yeah, I think she maybe got a little bit shorted on her story it's yeah like, maybe... like she was like a fighter like like she was a strong you yeah. know not like she wasn't weak like sickly mm-mm, mm-mm. Um, yeah i agree mm. but uh yeah maybe we'll uh maybe she'll pop up somewhere elsewhere a little more history mm. c- could always come up okay let's look for maybe one or two more questions and then we'll call it a night yeah. and we have we're just scratching the surface on this book folks there's so so much else for us to cover as most of you mm-hmm. probably know already next week as i said we're going to cover some higher mystery stuff we're going to talk about Dragon Babies, we're going to talk about Irea and Balerion. We're going to talk about um, the possibility yeah. that Aegon the Conqueror was infertile, and that relates to magic because of Magor. May have, there may have been a little black magic involved with Magor mm-hmm. and his not dying. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about um, related things to those characters as far as that goes. We'll talk about Alice Rivers and... I'm sure there's plenty of other things that I can't think of off the top of my head. So grab us one more question, why don't you? Um, Hairless Oyster, who also wanted me to say their name. It's a very (laughs) sexual-sounding name to me. Um, Do you see any comparisons between Larry's the Clubfoot and Varys the Spider? I do. I do, too. Absolutely. How can you not? I mean, he's just everywhere all at once, and you never know exactly what side he's on for so long. Playing both sides. He has kind of a a, a physical affliction. Yeah, an impediment of some sort. Yeah. And the name, obviously, Larius Varys. I mean, yeah, 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 it's like a, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Can't miss that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was not 
so subtle, I suppose. Really, the name thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm not prepared to give like super detailed comparison between the two, but yes, it's, and, and and I like that's one of the things that we got more of. We more get a little bit more of, of him in in the. Dance. I can't remember the exact, but I feel like we got a little bit of Larry's kind of protecting younger younger folk, we kind did. of like Varys. Well, and he protected the he he hid the king. And, uh, and protected him yeah. while he was recovering, which is yeah. a little similar to Tavares's hiding Fagon, mm-hmm. a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, sort of. Um, so mm-hmm. that's uh, yeah, it's something we'll have to discuss in further detail later. But yes, we definitely mm-hmm. agree, and I think it goes beyond uh, what we've said so far. There's more mm-hmm. to it than, than that. Baratheon, just, just kill it with the questions he asks. What enrolled book would you want published? That's a great question. The Jade I mean, Compendium Jade comes Compendium, to mind. Jade Compendium, yeah, that would be a good Death one. Death of Dragons. Obviously, yeah, you would want the Septon Barth books. Dragons Worth I Mirrors, really, yeah. I would like to read a caution for young girls. <laughs> I want myself a sordid tale. Um, no, maybe not my real answer, but it's a, I, I am very interested in that yeah, one in particular. Yeah, it's on the list. It maybe it's um, if I could, If mm-hmm. I could get all the different like versions of it. You know, of, of a caution for young girls, maybe. <laughs> but I do like that one I, I, I mentioned earlier by Archmaester Abalon, um, the Women of the Aftermath book. I would be after the Dance of the Dragons. But no, I think I would go with a long-spanning, like, comp- Jade Compendium type thing. The, cool. mo- the biggest yeah. book I could get. <laughs> the biggest, the largest one. A uh, ponderous tome. It wouldn't be so ponderous. Yeah. <laughs> it would be awesome. We got a super chat here from Lajara Dane. It says, thank you, Ashea, for all the multitasking. Aziz, keep up the good work, too, as always. Y'all are a great team. Thank you, thank, thank you. you. We appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so, okay, other people agreeing, they want a smutty book too. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, certainly, we welcome feedback as we're entering this new weekly series. If you guys have suggestions for how we handle questions or how we handle the timeline or just how we're handling just about anything, let us know. We're always open to suggestions. As anyone who's been following our show for a while knows, that we like to mix it up and tweak things and, and try to see what works and and uh, don't get stuck doing the same thing every time. So. Let us know what y'all think. Yes, Get your LML, questions ready. we will be having guests, and you you will be a guest. Uh, we haven't asked you, but you will be a guest. We're going to be having you now, guests. Yeah. Um, definitely, like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Lady Gwen is lined up to be in it for sure. And we have a long list of people to invite and many months before the next, se- yeah, next gonna, season to get all these guests on. That's right. We're going to be doing, like I said, we're going to be doing this at least until season eight, which is April. So that's quite a while. It's like f- uh, more than four months. And we're going to be including, well, that's a lot of time for guests. Yeah, LML is going to be one of them. We'll have pretty much anyone we've had in the past is, is not unlikely to return, but we'll also be bringing in some new faces, people mm-hmm. that we've guested with that we haven't brought on our show yet. Like Eliana and Chloe. I see Eliana there in the chat. Yeah, we'll definitely example. have Eliana on, no question. But no Chloe. You didn't even address <laughs> that. No Chloe, no way. No. We'll definitely have Chloe also, but she's not in the chat, so she doesn't get to, she doesn't, she gets to come on second. Eliana gets to be first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll pretty much if you have if you have guests you want to see, definitely let us know. Um, we can make yeah. that happen. Better if you leave them in the comments for this video rather than in the chat here because the chat will disappear over time. Yeah, so although they do comment. at least do chat replays now when you watch replay, the video. But, but still, yes, we don't, we, we, we're not going to watch all the chat. We can't go back and look at all that. Kelly <laughs> 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 are so offended. Yeah, I know. I, I had to call Aziz out for that. It wasn't me. Don't tell Chloe. It wasn't me, okay? Don't tell her. Tell no. her to only watch the first hour and 50 minutes of this. Tell yes. her to stop before the last 10 minutes. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> okay, everybody. 
Valar Reredus. Well, Valar Reedus in this case. Yeah. Uh, or Valar Reredus. I'm on my or second read. Or Reedus. Aziz is not on his second read. He's on his whatever listen through. No, I'm on my, I'm on my second read and my third listen. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Oh, you're right. You're I'm not sorry. on your... You're, you're, you, I misspoke. You were you correct. You read it more times than that, technically. Yeah. yeah and the, 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 it's interesting that, you know, reading is, is, is better for me personally, but... I catch things because of like infl- the way he imp- yeah. imp- pronounces certain things, like, you know, the bean joke, for example. <laughs> Real quick, Reconax asked if we could put a chat window into the live stream, and that is something that we have the ability to do. I've never done it just because it encourages people, I think, to be incendiary or try to troll or something and get their mm. their, their terrible comment on the stream. So like maybe with a delay, I, I have thought about that, and um, other people maybe have more experience with it and can tell me, but I feel like it just encourages people to try to get attention like that. So, anyways, that's my we'll, thought on yeah, that. We'll you consider. chime in if you if you have thoughts on that. Just wanted to bring that up because we've we'll, thought about it before. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, we have we have had you know in, in last season during the TV show we had someone go to great efforts to try to spoil people. Yeah, and during TV season, one hundred percent, we will not have it on the stream on the screen. But now it's a little more possible. Um, oh yeah. yeah, and I'm going to be on Between Two Werewoods uh, soon. LML show. I f- is it this week or the week after? I forget when we're doing that. But yeah, or I guess we don't have a we don't have a, a date yet. But it's we're going to be talking about um, some really cool parallels to this story, uh, uh, Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn. There's some really neat. Uh, it's it's a huge influence on a Song of Ice and Fire. This Sunday. Oh, it is this Sunday. Okay, cool. Okay. Excellent. This Sunday. That is the sixteenth, uh, right? Yeah, the sixteenth. So mm-hmm. that's uh, three o'clock Eastern Standard Time. The 16th, and if you miss it, you can always catch the replay. So, yeah, um, I'll be there, and so will LML. Hey, who's, who else do we have coming? Is that, do we have Gray Area and uh, Bookshelf Stud? Is that right? We'll I hope I hope that's right. So yeah, if, if, yeah, if, we'll it's, if it's wrong, well, you guys will find out. So anyway, <laughs> thanks, everybody. On behalf of Ashea and all of our fellow Westorians, we'll see you I next Tuesday. I can say Tuesday. goodbye myself, Aziz. All goodbye, right. everyone. <laughs> okay, thanks for letting me talk for once. Goodbye. <laughs> And we're back with the Patreon credits. Yeah, I anyone forgot the Patreon around? credits. So anyone who's but still here. I got here. it. Good. I've, I've got your back, everyone. <laughs> so we have, I want to shout out to Lord Mark of House Joseph, the Snow and Winterfell, rider of Maslow Cartho, the white dragon with green scales, horns, wings, and talons, forever in our memory. Uh, peers of the realm include the mysterious BR, Hand of the King. We have the smiling wolf, Lord Stephen Stark of the Broken Tower, soldier, scholar, philosopher, diplomat, Hand of Queen Ashea, who was known as the best. Lazy, lazy, <laughs> sorry, Lady Suzanne Sinistral, the Lord, <laughs> damn it, what a, what a, what a tongue twister oh, that was. I was credit scene, what will the next Marvel movie be? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is this oh, post credit scene worth staying for? Yes, I don't know. Okay, I'll try that again. I, my, my tongue, my, my mistakes maybe are worth it. Despite, yeah. so. Lady Suzanne Sinistral, the learned, holder of the left-handed Valyrian shears called Penance and Hand of the Beard. Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog and Warden of the West, also the host of the Two Age War podcast. Lord George Stormsville the Cunning is Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Cabethian Frozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is the Lady of Villa Hills and Crescent Springs and Warden of the South. Lord James Tuttle is King of the Stepstones and the Narrow Sea, Commander of the Royal Fleet, consisting of the Narrow Fleet led by Flagship Caraxes and the Bloodstone Fleet led by Flagship Prince Damon. Charlotte Oster is the Corsair Queen of the Western Shivering Sea, Commander of the Briny Fleet, whose flagship is the barnacle-encrusted Violet Hulled Mercenaria. She carries the Naker-inlaid Shucking Blade Crass Lover. 
Our small council includes Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight, Master of Whispers, Lord Robert Jacobs, Master of Coin, Lord Daniel, the Sneaky Russian, Master of Ships, Lord or Lord Benjamin of House Hornwood, Master of Laws, and Grand Maester via James. We have Lady Dyer Liz of Castle Naki, the Alpha Patron. We have Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell, Breaker of the Second Stone. We have Ashea returning to the camera with Xerxes, the blue-eyed kitty. We have Lord Skip of the Velt, Lord of Castle Ganges. We have Gregor the Toasty, Lord of the Breadford. Alicia Everlasting is of the Green Blood, Lady of the Desert Rose. Lord Ryan is of Castle Stonegate, Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Ashlyn Winter is the Hawk's Eye, Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest is the wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglazed. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Dawnhold. Lord Bemmy Snuggle Bunny is Guardian of the Hidden Hundred Acre Werewood, Dual Wielding Glorious Morning, and Little Light Wise. Brian the Defender is Lord of the Spearfort and the Freelands, Last Scion of Clan McCulloch. Strength and Courage. The Bastard of the Wolfswood is First Forester of the Old Gods, sworn to House Iron Werewood. Listen for the silence. Connor the Dungeon Master is Lord of Catamount Keep and Guardian of the Smoky Mountain Pash. Lady Baelish is Dark Widow of Harrenhal. Lord Sidney Jesse is the Fallborn, Lord of Bluespring. Nevesa the Twin-Hearted, a suspected skin changer, is holder of Castle Carahel. Sir Valentin of House of Jen is creator of the Game of Predictions, free Game of Thrones predictions and futures market. Lady Leona Kelly of Wolf Island is protectress of the Steelhold. Casey Stark is house is of House Acres. Lady Kay of House Archer is Lady of Earth Dog Hall, Huntress of the Wolfswood, and Guardian of Maddie Squirrel's Bane, the Mighty Direweenie. Oh, wow. Our first sword is Jeff Gnarly, the Long Snapper. Didn't I, did I not do him at the beginning? I was supposed to. Oh, well. I don't, I don't know if I did. I think I, I may have forgotten. Did. Whoops. Sorry, Jeff. Get you next time. <laughs> Sir King's Justice Sir Troy the Steady is wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. Oh, here's your Queen's High Council. Yes. Lady Mai Emerald Eyes, Voice of House Swan, Mistress of Whispers. Rebea Star Eyes, Lady of Waves and Mistress of Ships, Captain of the Iron Shadow Cat. In the shadows we bear our claws. He bears his claws too. Xerxes here. Um, Grand Maester Elizabeth, middle daughter of Lyanna Mormont, first lady to forge both the Silver and Valyrian Steel Link. And right now there's no Master of Coin or Master of Laws. It's a lawless land here. <laughs> our, our King's Guard has some open spots as well, but we have Sir Dolores D, the longest tenured of our White Swords, Willa Crowsbane, Guardian of White Tree, first lady of the Free Folk, and Sir Dean the White, Knight of the Black Star. And we also have the Queen's Guard. Mm, yes, um, got distracted by my cute cat, sorry. <laughs> Lord Captain Commander Hama Helmet, the self-sword sentinel. Lady Nymeria of House Seapurtle. Want to give us a purr, Xerxes? No? Okay. <laughs> Alexander of House Atreides from the Seat of Dune. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Becca the Bard, songbird of the north. Michonne the Melodious, star of Old Town. Minds over masters. Sir Rambo, knight of House Ganon, first blood. And Sir Leon of House Walker, wielder of the twin Valyrian steel blades, fire and ice, and the werewood bow, rain. He is well equipped. Fire, ice, and rain. He is well, well equipped. Mm -hmm. uh, Beard Guard includes Lord Commander George the Golden, Sir Joshua Oakheart, the White Oak, Lady Rita of the Copper Mane, the Unbound, Dance the Fervor, mm -hmm. Sir Jeff, Warden of the AC, wielder of Triad, the multifaceted beard of platinum, red, and brown, stay frosty, and Sir Tim Corgyle, Mad Boy of the Western Desert. Also, want to give a shout out to Sir Terence, Knight of the Cedars, who is our most prolific non-patron donator. Thank you very much, Sir Terence. As well as our History of Westeros Night's Watch, which 
is hiding from me at the moment. Here we go. Lord Commander Benjen Umber leads it with, he is the Silent Giant, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Greatsword, Winter's Kiss. And he is backed up by First Ranger Zacnafane Fourfeathers, fastest bow in the watch. First Builder Magor Snow, a.k.a. Magor the Cool, the fire in the snow. And First Steward Sir Jurion of the Torrentine, called Palewind. Last but not least. Okay, now we're really done this time. And I'm going to have yeah. to get back in the habit of, of doing the Patreon credits at the end of every weekly episode. That's oh, fun. yeah, as we're used to, when we record separately, you know, he can uh, just record it instead of doing it live. Yeah, that, that, episodes. And we avoid my mistakes that way. Although yeah. I did pretty good, besides calling but. Suzanne lazy by accident. Yeah, lazy Sue. What would be lazy Sudan? Lazy lazy Susan. Lazy Sudan. The black eyed pea of Sudan. Lazy Sudan. Yeah. Um, Sorry for that. Yeah. But yeah, we got we got a cat in there. I looked all around, and Xerxes was was sleeping, and he was able to stay here for a minute. So now you know. We're good. Okay. Now we can say goodbye again, right? Yes. Okay. Valar, re goodbye us. Bye.